Sure that it wasn't like I'm hearing fucking new noises. Oh, we're live. Hey, what's hey, up? hey. Our sidekicks and henchmen out there in the Geek Nation. You are watching the uh, Colts Pop podcast live stream. Uh, we used to do two different shows. There were Spoiler Alert, which is the comic book uh, weekly discussion show. And then there was Gutter Talk, which is more of an umbrella overarching conversation about comic books and pop culture and representation and all sorts of fun stuff. The stuff that happens in the gutters of the book, if you will. Uh, but we are melding them together. Uh, so we're just going to be, I think, the Cult Pop podcast. I don't know. We're still figuring it out. But basically, we're mushing the shit together to bring you double the fun. Y- double mint gum. Isn't I'm that double the shit? Uh, with me this week is Len. Hey, what's up? How you doing? Coming out of the shadows. What's up? I like your bat triple. And Noel. Uh, hi, how you doing? I'm wondering about the metaphor of mashing shit together, and I think it's not awesome. That's just a lot of, it's a lot of poop. <laughs> a lot. Uh, and I'm Brian, as Katie said. But Noel, how would you feel about like, uh, you know how sometimes when there's a comic and they've renumbered it a bunch of times, and but then there's hitting a big milestone issue, and they're like, hey, we're gonna now it's issue yeah. 700, right? Uh, like legacy numbering. So, yeah. Legacy yeah. numbering. So it's like this is Cult Pop Podcast episode one, legacy number seven oh one. Yes. Yeah. So you can you can change whatever numbers you want to whenever you want. Because exactly. nothing matters. Chosen. All, all new, all different. <laughs> ah, exactly. So yeah. Hi guys, we're here. We're gonna talk about this week's comics and later on we're gonna have a conversation. Someone wrote in and uh they had something interesting to say, so I thought it'd be uh, cool to discuss it later on in the show. But first, we have letters. We have letters. Oh, we have lots and lots and lots, 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 lots of letters. Don't oh, sing! God damn it. That's a big television. How does it look? Who's got a big television? What? Christopher St. Saucy Goodnight. Oh. It's got a 55-inch TV, and we are on it. Ah! It's a lot of inches. I always said I could use just like one or two more inches, and I'd be happy. Um, So uh, we have a letter from the Home Dad Abroad. <clears throat> So he had written in before and was like, hey, you guys should review Cerebus as part of your monthly book club discussion. And I said, that's a goddamn phone book. Can you pick something else? And uh, he wrote me back. He said, all right, Jadles, you've worn me down. To save you all the effort of breaking out of the subconsciously ingrained adherence to the six-issue arc, I have plumbed the depths of my arcane interests to find something that will at least, hopefully, be enjoyable, if not worldview altering and perspective broadening for the spoiler alert podcast revolving crew to read over the course of a month for book club Megaton Man, the original run of 10 issues from 1984 to 1990 by Don Simpson. Don't be fooled by the garbage put out by the older, broken-willed Don Simpson of post-1990, desperately milking his brilliant creation to ever-diminishing returns as Every other idea he has fizzles and dies on the vine. No, stick with the lightning in a bottle that was Kitchen Sink's publication of Megaton Man, a parody slash exploration of the hero and its archetypes set against the political structure of the Cold War. And funny. Or if that is too obscure, DR and Quinch. 
by Alan Moore and Alan Davis. First appearing in 2000 AD in 1983, it follows the adventures of a couple of alien criminal juvenile delinquents. Despite it being by an Alan Moore enterprise, it eschews highbrow liter literary references and rape in deference to cruel comedy. How's that grab you? The home dad abroad. So my response to that was, are you purposely trying to find books that are out of print? <laughs> and then he responded again, I'm eclectic. <laughs> and they're not out of print in my collection. <laughs> Besides, if something is out of print, there are ways of getting readable copies. I'm assuming he did this sort of motion. Oh, no. <laughs> One of these. Yeah. 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 No. <laughs> like the cackle. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's the email from Home Dad. Um, it, I was gonna say defense, my, the the Alan. I was just gonna say that the Alan Moore yeah. book, Dr. and Quinch, is that mm -hmm. or Finch? Um, I don't have a copy of it, and neither does anyone. You know, reasonably <laughs> sane. But I do have a copy of Back Issue magazine that goes all into the history of it. So yeah. we could review that article. <laughs> nice. I, I, th I thought in response, like I didn't, it was a, it's like a beautiful, subtle, eclectic troll in a way of like, here's two crazy, uh, deep in the weeds kind of things that you guys can read. So I thought that it would be fun to, to respond to that with reviewing, um, X-Force number one by Rob Liefeld or just, <laughs> or just anything with lots and lots of pouches in the X-Men, maybe Chuck Austin's run. Oof. Just something that's something that's the a, like literal opposite of literative or, or literature style uh, comic books. I figured that was the way to go. I'm assuming he'll get back to us again. Hey, JD, I got an email. Huh? You have a letter? I have, have a letter. You have lots and lots, lots, and lots and lots and lots of letters. God damn you! Well, guys. I've got one. I've oh. got. Uh, <laughs> I thought we did it well that time. Actually, I wasn't trying to mess it up. This is from Jason uh, Lavachkin. Ah, who, who says? Here are some suggestions for a new podcast name that combines the great taste of spoiler alert and less filling of gutter talk. How about the Heroes Complex Weekly Roundup podcast? Basically, but reminds folks of JD's store or the letters page podcast because you have letters, lots and lots of letters. The sidekicks and henchmen podcast, homage to JD's greeting each week. The big five podcast, homage to the big two, but includes everyone. The Heroes Complex Splash page, <laughs> a touch more inventive than the weekly roundup. Oh. The Off-Panel Podcast. Anything can happen off-panel. Mm -hmm. That's good. Too. The Spoken Thought Bubble Podcast. A little irreverent. The Cult Pop Pull List. Continues branding for Cult Pop. Mm. The Variant <laughs> Crisis Event Crossover Omnibus Podcast. Presented by Cult Pop and the Black Triples. Lampooning the yearly events from the Big Two. Or the C-O-V-E-R podcast, a.k.a. the crossover on the Misvariant Event Retcon podcast, enough said. Just my two cents. All the best. Jason, a.k.a. Build a Triple. That's uh, cute. Brian's probably going to pick the longest title <laughs> with all the different variations. Just, really? 
Just because he loves being able to remember it all and recite it really quickly. Oh shit, the X Men. Yeah, like if, it, if it's at all like the X Men round. Yeah, exactly. So it'll be like the welcome to episode three of the twenty minutes later. Forgot about that podcast. I think you're onto something there, Noel. The blah 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 podcast. That's good. Let's make it like they purposely blacked out the word. You could do it in the font of of how they do Joker's laughs behind them. Great. No, I actually do. Well, real quick, I hope the last one would have periods after all of those when we inevitably did the crossover one. Uh, I thought off-panel podcast was a cool name for a podcast. That is a pretty cool name. I like off-panel. Yeah. Yeah. The one before it was cool, too. Uh, What was that one? Having had a long conversation about my memory, I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember either. Yeah, there was like four really good ones out of like the – 20 like four that i really liked out of like the 20 but i i can't remember now because there were so many yeah with the email yeah looking at that email looking at that email so uh not being one to not participate christopher goodnight fired off a quick email Uh, (laughs) so so len last week uh and, and to be honest it was just to remind us about last week when he wrote us in and we read but part of it was directed at Leonard, who hates being called Leonard. Sorry, at Len. Uh, don't forget to ask Len about Storm in Black Panther and my Atomic Robo suggestion for next week, the the Shadow from Beyond Time. I'd be glad to join you live to talk about it. Uh, Chris St. Saucy, good night. By the way, just backed my first Indiegogo in Sean Murphy's Plot Holes. Any of you guys get in on that? And, ah, uh, oh, he sent us a picture yeah, I just saw that. Oh, man, his TV screen is probably having Inception right now. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> so, Len, um, I, I guess the hubbub, the hullabaloo, is that Storm is going to be in the Black Panther 2 film, which I have not heard, but to be fair, I don't pay attention to that stuff. So, what oh. do you, he wants to know what you think about it. I assume as the black guy on the podcast well he has also well, talked, about, storm. talked yeah, about a lot too. yeah yeah uh like that we can't hear you bud sorry i, I muted y'all because i was chewing i apologize um i muted myself because i was chewing um i uh <laughs> you can hear us but not you <laughs> sorry. I, I, I have felt you know, I, I never liked the whole idea of Storm marrying Black Panther because I felt that was kind of like just shoehorned into the story. And my fear and a big fear that we've talked about on Black Tribbles was that now with Marvel having X-Men again, that what they were going to start doing was try to move the movie universe towards that storyline as a, as a way of bringing in the mutants into the Avenger, into that the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um... And I think that that does not show proper deference to the character of Storm. And I think it is a little tone deaf sticking on because all of a sudden, like, why does she have to be in Black Panther? Why couldn't you introduce her in the Avengers? Why couldn't you introduce her in Captain Marvel or anything else or in Thor? She's been a Thor. You know what I'm saying? She's she's wielded Mjolnir. Like, if anything, I would have thought that it might have been interesting to introduce her there, you know? So 
to introduce her in a Black Panther, I just seems to me seems a little lazy. Yeah. Um, and again, I just don't think that it does the character any justice. But I've long given up on them doing any justice to Storm. It's it's a effing shame. I I. I... Think like I had kind of heard of this too, and and like read a cursory um, rumor-filled article about it. This is right. this is like conjecture along the lines of cosmic yeah. book news bullshit. I really don't think that they're going to do it because honestly, I trust Ryan Coogler more than more than anything to not do something that hackneyed of just like insert black uh, X Men or a black mutant into the one uh, place where audiences would enjoy it. Like that's stupid. I, I, I See, do not think that's going to happen. I, I hear you on trusting Ryan Coogler will be possibly against it. However, as much autonomy as the success of black Panther probably has bought Ryan Coogler, mm-hmm. there still is a certain point, the level where he has to a, a Agree to right, a right. certain set of marching orders. So, if the marching order was Storm's got to be in Black Panther, I wouldn't like it. But if Ryan Coogler is directing it and helping with working on the story, then I'm going to trust that he's going to at least try and do it in a more interesting and more ham fisted way, less ham fisted way than it was done in the comics. I'm not going to like it, but I'm going to, but I'm going to reserve just. A judgment and trust him you know what i mean because i do think he i mean you know he's at the end of the day marvel disney they write the checks and yeah. if he wants to do the movie right. he's got to follow a certain uh rules or dictates now it seems to me that there would be actual reasons for her to be there like she they both are from africa right mm-hmm. well i had mentioned last time you remember about like if it was a the the after the credit scene. Oh, let me get some great. No. <laughs> uh, um, hey Sam. Uh, there, uh, like a cut scene or not a cut scene, an after credit scene where it's like he noted like the whole story has happened, and you know because of their science, like he or Shuri notices like yo, there's some weird weather shit happening in mm-hmm. Africa, and then she's just in the X Men movie. Like that's you know. If they were going to put it in there at all, uh, like an end credits sequence kind of thing, uh-uh. right? Yeah, right. yeah. Um, I can see that. I don't, you know, or would you say one? Like that wouldn't bother me. Yeah, something like that wouldn't bother me. Yeah. Um, Randy says that wasn't Mjolnir that she had. That's true. That was he created. Uh, yeah. Right. What was it? If it wasn't Mjolnir, I, I never read that story. What was it? <clears throat> I think it was created by Loki to and like a bid to take over Asgard and she would be the core of it. Uh, Yeah. Nice. Good call, Randy. Thanks, bud. Um, So thank you everyone who wrote us in. Feel free to email us at cultspopgo at gmail.com or blacktribbles at gmail.com and either myself or Len will uh, grab a hold of it and we will read it. Thank you so much. We really appreciate the interactions uh, because without you, I'm so alone. Dark Knight's Death Metal number two. I'll be there in a minute. Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. Uh, Diamond has this to say. Get ready to scream. Wonder Woman roars across the horrifying dark multiverse landscape in the world's most demented monster truck with Swamp Thing riding shotgun. The two arrive at the ghoulish cemetery base of Batman 
and his army of zombies. But can the former friends stand each other long enough to form a plan and take back the planet? Plus, what's Lobo doing in space? Don't miss the second chapter of the wildest ride in the DC universe from the epic team of writer Scott Snyder and artist Greg Capullo. I didn't see Lobo in this book. Did I miss it? He's oh, on one panel. panel. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I, you know what? I, this is happening more and more. Like uh, the solicitations are like two, three, four months out. So yeah. if, if, a, if a scene or an event in, a, in one issue gets pushed off to like the next issue, it's still in the solicitations. For like issue three, so that yeah, happen? well, it happens all the time. Like it had really? happened, I think, with uh, Legion of Superheroes recently. They were like, in the solicitations, it was like, oh, the truth yeah. about the whatever twins, and you're like, that didn't happen, but it no, happened no, in the next issue. Oh, I didn't notice that they were like pushing from one to the next. You know, by the time that happens, I forget that we mentioned the solicitation. While we're having this conversation, I need someone to find this image of Lobo in space because I don't see it. I've just got the entire book. I think it's literally like, like his just his back. I think even yeah, yeah, because he showed up at the end of issue one. Yeah, and he's just kind of given, kind of lip service in the background. I'm I'm telling you, I think it's just a solicitation mark from a previous version of the story where maybe it got like maybe that plot beat got pushed to issue four or three or something. Um. So, uh, what did you guys think of this book, Len? Um. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Strap in. Okay. I just, I just, I just don't care. Just, <laughs> I just don't care about any of this stuff, man. It just, it just reads as so. I mean, I know purposefully because of the world that is set in and everything like that. It's supposed to read as just bonkers. Like this is supposed to be read basically like DC a la the Mad Max universe. You know, right? And like yeah. Wonder Woman is supposed to be so so cool and and uh, almost like uh, Charlize Theron from Fury Road, and um, and uh, and you know, yeah. I mean, she and she looks cool, and you got the Flash in there, and the, I mean, I love her know, hair. Wally, and you yeah, got I love that ombre. That's called an ombre. My wife's a hairstylist. My wife. Yeah, and you know you got you got the swamp thing. He's all skinny and stuff, and they run into the Justice Society, and and he's and, wearing like Toys R Us sunglasses or something. Like what? Yeah, like the bat sunglass, like bat three D visors on those his face. Those were introduced in the first issue. Okay, I'm fine, but I just, <laughs> I just, I just don't care, man. I mean, the coolest bit of it is that Bat Adam gets crushed by the wheel of a car in the beginning of uh, on the first page. That was kind of cool. The um, Batum, yeah, yeah, the Batum. But then by the end, when we get uh, uh, a a repri- a reprise of the composite. Superman, Batman, Mech, Robot again. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I just don't give a goddamn about this book. And I mean, I think Greg Capullo. I like Greg Capullo's art, but for the most part, I think he's kind of sleepwalking through this one. Um, it just, it just is stupid. I don't care. <laughs> I, I mean, it. I, the story is. Just by the numbers, gather the team up together to fight the big bad, and now they brought back the Batman who laughs, who was 
in a in a, like a, a golem of, of Dr. Manhattan who then turns into the darkest night and it's just stupid. Oh my god, is I I'm, I'm not sorry. gonna I'm not gonna disagree with you. It's pretty stupid. Um, and there were times in here where even I was like, oh, all right. So now, first of all, I was really stoked about what happened in the first issue where Wonder Woman, unbeknownst to her captors, is uh, carving apart the invisible jet to make herself an invisible chainsaw, uh, which has the magic lasso as the, the pull lever. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought that was amazing. And then she chainsaws the Batman who laughs. And I went, oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. (laughs) I was so excited that they murdered that character that they have been forcing down our throats for like three years now. Um, And now, of course, it's like, oh, no, he's now got Dr. Manhattan powers somehow. And um, and now he's he's changed because he doesn't like the color blue. He changes uh, into the blackest night. Um, Yeah. All of a sudden he's shade. Sorry, the darkest night. The darkest night. Which is it? It's just a Green Lantern thing, really. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it was great. Um, I actually. Oh no, it's not. Yeah. When I when yeah. I first read this, so like after issue one, you and I, uh, JD, the first thing you mentioned to me was like, "Thank God they killed the Batman who laughs." Yeah. Such a good like heel turn, or like, such a good turn at the end of the first issue, and you think he's the big bad. I was like, "Yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool," but I wouldn't be surprised if. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> immediately not only do they bring him back but they bring him back in what a lot of other comic fans would think is the most egregious and blasphemous way possible (laughs) by sticking his brain inside of like the carcass of a dr manhattan style bruce wayne hey also noel do you know how did they show us in the first one how they get a dr manhattan i was i don't think so it was just it's just a Alternate version of Batman yeah. that went through that process, or um, of Bruce oh, Wayne. Oh, that was a, that yeah, Doctor Bat-Hatton. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not John Osterman. Right, right. It's it's. Oh, they give him a name. It's the Bat Doctor Bat Manhattan, or something like that. Oh, the Bat something Manhattan, rid- or something like that. Batman something ridiculous like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, Batman. yeah, especially this week when we're we're having conversations about uh, Watchmen being used over and over again as like either a power up or new series and blah, blah, blah. And people freaking out this week with that in it. I was just like, Ooh, yeah, there you go. I found him. Uh, I thought it was a real ballsy move. It's kind of like a ballsy. Yeah. Ballsy in so much as like screw you and your expectations. This is stupid. And I love it. Of the writers of the writers. Right. I found myself like it. So I was, you know, as you guys know, right there with you about the Batman who laughs and how and my interest level in his antics shenanigans. <laughs> um, but uh, I found myself when he becomes the darkest night, I was like, that's a little better. <laughs> I, I dug it. I, uh, yeah. I dug it. Yeah. Uh, um, like I'm a little more interested in rather than Batman, who is the Joker is like, a Batman who went crazy and is nigh omnipotent now. Um, I don't need to see him in any more stories after this. Oh, you're gonna. Yeah. Oh, trust me. Well, well he's, I, I assume going up against Wally, right? Like they actually, are the counters to each other. I think, I, I think the way that this is going to like wash out or, or they're alluding to is that the Batman who laughs, sorry, from now on, I will note him as the darkest night. That's also a better name. It is a better name. Uh, the Darkest Knight seems to be kind of working up the the armament to take on Perpetua himself. Hmm. No, she so said I, it would be a good idea, Noel. She's like, "There's you can't do it, Batman who laughs. 
yeah, he's Batman. He always wins. But but I like we haven't talked about. I love. The, I genuinely love the. No matter how stupid this gets, I genuinely love the conceit of it. The fact that the 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 DC universe was built off of chaos energy, which she feeds on. So in order to rebuild it the way it was, having to go into each crisis to take a little bit of the chaos energy to rebuild the the DC multiverse. That's so effing huge and weird and stupid. I kind of love it. So is that is this? If- what I'm getting from it is basically the plot to Endgame. Is that what we're doing? I guess so. In, in a way that everything matters, you have to go in and get a piece of at each one of these different realities that have. Yeah. So that I'm, are, I'm like, excited to kind of revisit the other crises. If that's we're doing some sort of time travel multiverse hopping thing. Yeah. I'm a little interested in that. I, you know, that's kind of up my alley. I always like I loved Endgame um, and how yeah. we got to go revisit past yeah. scenes from a different lens. I always enjoy that. Yeah, if that's the way that they go with this, I think that would be really cool. Like, imagine these three versions of the Trinity going to zero hour and having to deal with um, Parallax. My favorite favorite part would be cool. Is uh, this Batman? So it's not just the Batman Superman robot that we saw in Batman Superman from uh, Jeff Loeb and Ed McGinnis. (laughs) This is a Batman Superman Wonder Woman outfit. That they gave lipstick to. The lips are the because <laughs> that's the only place you could do Wonder Woman on the face, right? Oh, yeah. I guess you could do the the gal. <laughs> Maybe it's Maybelline. I don't know. Maybe she's made with it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, yeah, Len's right. This is stupid, but that does not mean I'm not enjoying it. Yeah, you know what? I, one of the problems I had with um with Justice League before this and. Piece, like a little pieces of Dark Knight before or Dark Knight metal before mm-hmm. was that it was very self-serious and convoluted. Mm. This doesn't feel like that at all. So I'm just buying into it a lot more. Like they're having fun as opposed to, as opposed to the justice league series that was just so Ugh. intense and went yeah. nowhere. This actually feels like crazy, silly throwing off fireworks, which I think is a lot more um, digestible for me. I, um, it, if it goes this way, I'm interested too in the idea that they go back to each crisis. They keep saying everything matters. Um, I wonder if they will be like, this is what happens to you when they meet the Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman from Zero Hour. Not like you are an alternate. You know what I mean? Like they're not in an alternate reality or uh, a different version. The, the idea is that just like in Doomsday Clock where it's the same Superman since the Golden Age. And he just keeps changing. Uh, I don't know. I think that that would be cool. I, I think the fact that we're, the fact that three out of four of us are talking about how fun the possibilities might be, hmm. means that this was a relatively successful issue. I'm also right. interested in the continuity stuff, and that's what you know what I mean. Like I like what they're doing there, and that's part of why I'm interested in it. Um, but it, it yeah. was stupid. Yeah. It's super <laughs> stupid, and I can't wait. Until we reach the end of this, I'm gonna be upset. And none of your predictions oh. play out. Yeah, and be- you're all sitting oh, here yeah. like this was such a waste of time. This was so. <laughs> you know what? We we Burn- said it was stupid in the second issue. We should have just stood by that. Burn me five times. You're. I'm gonna read what you read next. What you write next? <laughs> like. It has happened almost every single one of these series. Yeah. However, over time, I've, you know, usually like will, with hindsight, just kind of like enjoy them a little bit. And like after reading these first two issues, 
I almost like maybe 5% more enjoy most of the Justice League run now hmm. because it's like got this like, yeah, I know it's got this weird hindsight context where like, uh, oh, okay, the all the convoluted bullshit they were doing over there was <laughs> relatively helping this out here. So it's not that awful. Like, and if by the end of it, it made me like all that that had no conclusion, then I mean, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Randy <laughs> says, even with the added Wonder Woman stuff, which stuff? I don't know. That's what I'm, that's what I'm wondering. Besides the ombre, what is he talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about either. Um, so anyway, yeah, I mean, yeah, this was dumb as hell, uh, but that's sort of part of the charm for me. Um, it really is having fun, and it's not really taking itself too seriously. A lot of decisions seem to be made on, can I make a pun out of this name? Um, so, like, all right, he's just having, you know, you know what he's doing? He's rolling a big old, big old spliff. And he's just puffing away and just mm, 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 just typing it up. Um, let's move on to Empire Number One, story by Al Ewing and Dan Slott, script by Al Ewing, art by Valerio Shidi. The Kree and the Scrolls have united under a new emperor, and their war fleet is on a collision course for our world. On the moon, the Avengers are ready to strike with the full power of Earth's mightiest heroes. Approaching from outer space, the Fantastic Four are seeking a diplomatic solution. If the two teams can't work together to save the day, things can only get worse. So uh, we've had one, two, three, four, four or five lead-ups to this issue one. Mm. And uh, issue one Is this the actual issue one of Empire, or is this another, uh, another prelude? It's called Empire One. No, I know. Yeah. Um, so those have all been great. So great, in fact, that I felt a little underwhelmed by this first issue. What did you guys <laughs> think, Brian? Uh, you know, to be honest, I, I, don't, I don't disagree with that. We got a lot of the story already. You know, like the, <clears throat> the, the all the lead-ups, right? Yeah. But I did enjoy it. And I liked how it played out. I liked that um ultimately it turns out the kotati are the bad guys <clears throat> and they want to kill surprise surprise the beat entities uh um although i just learned that up until the 1300s the word meat could be used to describe any nourishment and so yeah. like carrots and whatever would have been called meat back then huh. anyway uh but the kotati don't care they just want to kill <laughs> they just want to uh, our current definition of meat entities, and um, and I, <laughs> and I like that. I love you. I love you so much. Oh God! It's I'd like I. We don't even need to distract you. You just do it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Although it makes me wonder about someone like the chefs who are cooking the thing. Guys, someone someone pass me the meat. I need more meat in here. No, not this meat. <laughs> the other meat. meat. The, <laughs> the pulpy meat with the with the stem. That the meat, meat yeah. with seeds. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why it changed, you guys. They, you know, <laughs> language. <laughs> um. So anyway, I thought it was good. I originally in the preludes, I kind of thought that it was going to be a more uh, hero fighting hero kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, I'm really glad that it's not. Yes. I like that we're yeah. Oh. I did not want that again. You know. Yeah, they they keep, you know, uh, even at the top of this first um, 
issue, it says Avengers, Fantastic Four, Empire. So this entire time, it's either the Avengers or the Fantastic Four. And I thought there was going to be some sort of like AVX or AVI sort of thing where like, ah, you want to help this team, but I want to help this other team. And we're both wrong. It's still Um, early. They might fight. It's it's possible. But the Avengers seem to have realized, like in the prelude, it was like they were on the side of the Kotati, possibly through chemical manipulation. And they seem to have realized fully that like, oh, this is a bad idea. But but again, it's it's comics. Like, it's a full-on brawl when they argue about the check who's going to pay for dinner. Like, it's, it's bound to happen, right? Yeah, it is. But what I do to JD's point, I like that in this issue when they initially, especially because the way that it left off in the prelude, the Avengers prelude, it almost looked like the Fantastic Four were leading yeah. the 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 yeah. Kree yeah. to yeah. Katati. You know what I'm saying? So now you get the you actually get the context behind that, and you see that their relationship. You know, despite them being with the Creed, despite the Avengers being with the Katadi, you see that there is still a conversation that happens between these two entities, Reed and Tony, because of who they are. You know, our person thing. You mean exactly like they they know each other. We like, I yeah. know I know what why the Kree are here. Reed, you tell me why you're there. What's 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 going on? Yeah. And yeah. then they have a conversation, and it actually is a whole conversation before the craziness happened. Yeah. And that's because the two of them are there. So yeah. actually, that played out against type for most books, and I actually appreciated that. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. Did I? Did you kind of see the Katadi being you know, like when the worm was going to turn with them? Yeah, you kind of seen it because that was. The, the Messiah dude, he was the weirdest looking dude in the world. Like, you just knew, like, oh, yeah, there's the other side of this, bro. And also, like, he was being way too... Just way too, too like... Tony mean, was way too, like, almost... Um, didn't didn't he remind you guys a little bit of, like, the new... Uh, the, the Hox Pox Professor X? Oh, like, I can do that. Oh, I see what you mean. Oh, uh, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like, it really... Really culty, really, really creepy culty. Well, yes, definitely very culty. Yeah. yeah. Also, I have a new kink. What is it? What and is that it? is the only slightly powered down She-Hulk. Ah, yes. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, she's she's got. What is she going to be like an agent of Katati now? Because they did a little like a mind oh. with her. Yeah, she might be on their side. I, I want to. I want to. I want to mention this version of Reed Richards, who looks like he's missed all his child support payments. I I saw that too. I, I did, saw that. I did a thunder <laughs> round. I think in the middle of the week. nasty fifty year old drunk. Yeah, I did a thunder round on this. I think in the middle of the week, and that was one of the things I mentioned on the cover. Reed Richards. Yeah, yeah. And then as soon as you open the book, Valerio Shidi is drawing the character. And it's so strange. It's so, so weird. Like, I'm not, I can't even pinpoint what's wrong with him, but it, yeah. it's strange. But to, be fair, but to be fair, that I did bump on that. And well, I, I guess I didn't notice that, that panel because there were other panels with Reed where I thought he didn't look that bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, but I did, I certainly did bump on that one. Like, this one here. I don't know if you can see it. Like that one. 
Oh yeah, um, when it's when it's super close up, sure, he looks yeah, like Reed yeah. Richards. But yeah. anytime that he's like in a mid shot, he looks he looks drunk. Yeah, his Stick hair his hair is longer too than they would normally. It's a little like shaggier yeah. than he would normally have. And on the cover, it's not. It's his classic like tight. His Hulkling, Hulkling is a force to be reckoned with. This panel was so awesome. Yeah. Yo, yeah. I was really happy that Hulkling did not turn out to be leading the bad guy army. Uh, no, no. You know, for whatever reason they would. I like that flip that they are on the side of good. That's cool. Yeah. The ghost Quinjet. Ghost Rider takes over the yeah. Quinjet and it turns into the Ghost Quinjet. Yeah. Uh, the, the, this is a really cool, like, even though it was telegraphed for a thousand miles, uh, this was a really cool kind of turn just in general because when they first introduced Hulkling kind of leading the Alliance, um, the Alliance army uh, as their emperor, uh, he, the very first thing he says was, let's go take out Earth. Yeah. But it's really the invaded Katati now yeah. that we know that. Like, yeah. so that was really, really cool. Yeah. Um, so Randy had come in and uh, we chatted in the shop for a little bit. Also, hi, Joel, uh, who says, I'm glad I'm not the only one put off by Reed's look. Yeah, uh, Randy and I had a conversation and Randy took, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, took offense. He took issue with the sword stopping Mjolnir. Um, yeah, he just didn't buy it. The fact that Odin, or I'm sorry, um, Thor, as he is now, in the Donny Kate series is, is Odin, right? He's the all father. Right. Uh, so he's even stronger than Thor usually is. And um, he's able, you know, Hulkling is able to stop Mjolnir with just a little dink, his sword. Um, but of course this, I believe this is all sort of moving us towards the Hickman uh, X-Men event called the 10 of swords. Cause we keep seeing these swords pop up all over Marvel Ooh. universe. I, I got to look this up. That sword is actually predates that. This is like the, yeah, this is a pre-existing sword, kind of like a sword in the stone kind of thing when it comes to the Kree and the Skrulls. Uh -huh. Like, it happened in... Teddy wielded it, the first person to wield it for whatever time, and it told him his destiny was to combine the races. Like, this sword yeah. has actual Avengers history, and I don't remember what it is. So it's not just a random sword at all. What are you showing us, Brian? It's got also... It is a cool-looking sword, for one thing. It's also... <laughs> You know, it's got like this power electrical kind of signature thing. Uh -huh. So it's not just a regular sword. Like that's the thing that Randy did not take into account is how cool the sword looks. All right, it's exactly. it's called this. It's called the Star Sword. It's it's called Excelsior yeah. the Star Sword. Right. Um, it's a mystical sword created by the merging two ancestral swords of the Kree and the Skrulls. It's uh, storied to be wielded by the true leader of or the you know the being that will unite the races. It's there you go. It's, it's a sword sword, not a yeah. new thing. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask Glenn what he thought, but... He's out. Well, he's, I, mean, I think we know. Yeah. <laughs> evidence. He doesn't get it. No, I... I um, even though this was like a weak first issue, there were a couple of really, really good moments. And, of course, like, I want to know how this ends. So, yeah. I, I'm, I'm digging it. Glenn, anything? I liked it for the most part. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean... Here's what I appreciated about this mostly is that it's happening now. It's happening in our universe. It's yep. not you're not you know <laughs> we're not dipping off into you know 
dark metal ye- ye- um, void. We're not dipping off into the Venom sphere. We're not <laughs> dipping off wherever the fuck half of these books seem to be taking place anymore. <laughs> this is happening happening right here with real consequences in our time. I cannot wait until the end is revealed <laughs> that, or they have to go back in time yeah. to reverse. I can't wait. I can't wait until this is erased within its own story by like timey-wimey shit. Just just so we could refer to, to this. That's all. That's all. Hey, Len. Yes. It's time. Is it? It's time. Brian, what's the time for? Thunder Round. That's right. Then you're up first. You're going to be talking about Spider Woman number two by Carla Pacheco and Pere Perez, and you're going to do a 60 second review. Are you ready? Uh, certainly. Spider Woman number two. Yes, let's go. All right. So Spider Woman is uh, Jessica Drew, who has a Spider Man ish costume now, and she's kind of like a hero for hire of a little bit, and she gets messed up and find out she goes out and saves some girl and find out she's sick she realizes that somebody maybe slipped her uh, a mickey of a sort to try to steal her powers and she wants to go find out how this happened and hilarity and violence ensues I do not like Jessica Drew's costume but I do like Jessica Drew and I love love the book I was uh, digging it for the most part. The art is, is fantastic. It's more realistic. It's happening now on <laughs> Earth. And that's, that I loved. So I think Spider-Woman, and it was a long time for Spider-Woman number two to come out. So I'm, I'm mad at mm. that. But pick it up. I think you'll enjoy it. Good read. I have a question about... Oh, if I may, take some of your thunder round. End of rounds! End of rounds! <laughs> um... Where does Rhino get the rash? He can't get out of costume, right? <laughs> All he wanted was some ointment. This is the best part of that that issue, by the way. That was fun. That was fun. It's a it's a dumb fun issue. It's it's I I enjoyed it. I was like, all right, this is kind of quirky. You know, it's cool. Nice, Brian. Yeah. You're up next. You're going to be talking about Avengers number 34 by Jason Aaron and Javier Garon. Are you ready? I'm ready. Aw, snap. All right. Uh, I like that. This is a fun issue. We've got Moon Knight. Is, uh, he had been gathering a bunch of the, uh, some version of, some group of powers, but uh, not pre-existing, Iron Fist and whatever. But now he's got them. And... Uh, it, it really explodes. They go through Kanchu, the moon god of Egypt, takes over, then has a really cool, uh, aesthetically cool look for, for his dystopian world that he forces everyone to participate in. Um, and it turns out the moon knight is not, is not so bad. Um, that was pretty sweet, too, because I like moon knight, and it was nice that he, uh, that you know, I mean, he did all these bad things, but he had a good purpose. Uh, Black Panther is badass breaks out of a bunch of chains and refuses to fuck is a great line they're like you know how much of your blood must we take before you give in or something like that or before we have your power it says all of it it was cool uh, round. Uh, all right the round is over this thing is also cool and the i'm gonna there's only three of us here and one of us just shit our pants <laughs> <laughs> it's a, this is still a great book yeah yeah, 
I, I'm I'm totally loving Avengers more than I was Justice League. Ditto. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, currently too. Let's just go with currently more than I enjoy Justice League. Hmm. No. JD. You're up for Fantastic Four number 21, written by Dan Slott, with art by Paco Medina. Are you ready for your 60-second review? Yeah, let's go. Oh, shit. Uh. This was fine. Uh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, this was fine. Uh, the first the first third of the... like This is one of those um, fill-in issue or tie-in issues that kind of have to do with like one little scene in the main book, but then they expand it. So... Um, the kids, Valerie and Franklin, are asked to take the two really great Cree and, and Skrull kids back home to Earth for protection while they deal with the Katadi. And this is what happens to them on Earth. Um, apparently, there's some sleeper agents of the Katadi in on Earth that are now made aware and, and about to go attack the Fantastic Four. And they, they incite the help of previous Fantastic Four members, which is cute. Paco Medina's art is fantastic. Uh, it's really, really awesome. Uh, I love the way that he portrays Spider-Man and, and Wolverine, especially uh, there's a panel where, yeah, or before that, there's a panel where uh, Spider-Man is carrying Wolverine in the classic pose, which is a really, really funny scene. End of round! But it's just fine. Oh. I don't really dig Dan Slott's writing that much. He's so cutesy. Uh. And even when it's just funny, he's really cutesy, and it just kind of undercuts the the wit, you know? I'm a sucker for that alternate, you know, the Ghost Rider, Hulk, Spider-Man. Uh, Me Wolverine too. Before. Yeah. That's, that it's and right. an interesting oh. way to have, uh, <laughs> an way to have like, I wanted your guys' thoughts. Like, what do you, <laughs> uh, to do a tie-in, which I think we're all, you know, tired of in some ways, but to not have it be the characters, you know, it's the Fantastic Four Empire tie-in, but it's, you don't have to see like, here's the events you saw in Empire, from the Fantastic Four's yeah. perspective, you know, yeah, like honestly, yeah. and during during um, during Maximum or Carnage, Absolute Carnage, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, the Venom book was there were great little side stories within the the book within the the main book that mm-hmm. felt like you know this could have easily kind of slipped in, mm-hmm. uh, and I enjoyed those because they were like they still followed the plot thread of of the series before, but kind of really directly had to do with the event, which this mm. seems to be doing as well. Mm. Um, it's just a different, like, it's just a different battlefield of the, of the war. Sure. Like yeah. All of the forces on earth, mm. which are these weird, like monks, these ninja yeah, the monks. monks I get with the Totati. Yeah. And then the other, yeah, yeah. I, I just have a problem with Dan Slott's writing. Mm. It, it doesn't appeal to me all that much all the time. See, I grew up on, well, I didn't grow up. <laughs> I, was, I was an adult. When, uh, it, uh, Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis and Kevin McGuire were doing their whole Justice League thing. Mm -hmm. And which, you know, you think of Justice League, it's the Justice League. Yet this was decidedly, you know, Mm. humor first, Mm -hmm. you know, action second. It was second tier uh, leaguers. And you bought the book for the humor, but there was still good action, still good character beats that happened in it. Dan Slott writing of the Fantastic Four, who are characters who have always been portrayed as very cosmic and, you know, you know, like they're central and integral to what's happening in the Marvel Universe. Let's face it, they're not so much anymore just because of the way things go in the, in the industry. So he's taking a different mm-hmm. slant on them. 
being a little bit more humorous, trying to find some lane where they can matter in this universe. And for the most part, I appreciate it. What I haven't appreciated, the mo- the biggest thing that I haven't appreciated is that they haven't had a steady artist, which means that yeah. it hasn't had a consistent look, which means that no matter how cutesy or or interesting some of the stories may be because the art varies you can't you're only invested in it but so much based on what the the images are presenting to you um and the way they've been collecting them like the the trade paperbacks have been like no bigger like they're like they're like 40 pages i mean like come on you can get a paper cut with the uh just the side of the trade with the spine (laughs) of it exactly you know so so that's been that's been disappointing to me but for the most part i appreciate what he's trying to do and uh i rock with i rock with it but i i'm like with you no i love this artwork in this issue oh yeah it's just that I know that the next issue is going to be somebody totally different, and they're going to have a totally different look, and it's going to be hard to follow. Because yeah, I've 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 kind of been struggling with Dan Slott for a little while now. Like even the second half of his Spider-Man run, I just completely fell off of too because he he has these large ideas that and he he just overcomplicates them <laughs> instead of pulls them off, and then when they are like when they when they come in for a landing, it's just so back bending convoluted that you're like oh all right mm-hmm. like um the spider-verse the second version of the spider-verse stuff was just so overly um complicated and it was like when it finally all get wrapped up it was just like uh we're done okay like it, it just it, it seems like he loves building these tapestries of of conflict but isn't super interested with with like really sticking the landing. To be fair, the second Spider Verse event was was written by someone else. The, Geddon? Oh yeah, you're right. Chris Page. Page. You're, you're yeah, right. Yeah, was like Dan Slott got credit because like he set up everything. Mm. Um, so uh, Len Paco Medina is going uh, at least through uh, Fantastic Four number 25, 26. So this arc. Yeah, oh, that'll be good. That's yeah, cool. yeah. I just checked in on it for you. Giant size X Men Magneto by John Hickman and Ro- Ramon Perez. Uh, Diamond has this to say: Jonathan Hickman continues his one shots, showcasing some of Marvel's best artists. This time, they bring a tale of Krakoan ambassador and master of magnetism, Magneto. Krakoa may be only for mutants, but mutants still need to deal with the human world around them. Magneto has a plan for that. Um, uh, so this was this was fine, right? It's okay. I, I have a it. point. So, all right. So Magneto is meeting with Emma Frost, right? Yes. And she, uh, she's like, pour me some wine. So he levitates the glass wine bottles, <laughs> <laughs> metal yeah. wine bottles that they use on Krakoa. So I was like, now wait a second. I've heard of leaded glass and whatever, and could they? So it turns out I looked it up. Glass can be magnetically, you know, like affected manipulated. by manipulated, right? It's possible. So, and I'm like, well, he's Magneto. He's very good at it and powerful, so he could do it. And then, like two pages later, he has a bundle of wood <laughs> that he is lifting into the fire. <laughs> like, how is he doing that? Huh? Right. <laughs> like, where's the metal in that? 
Well, in his defense, isn't the wood like it's kind of like in a bubble type of thing? So yeah, what's the bubble made out of? What's he doing there? A bubble, his power. But I guess you know what? Honestly, they don't show his power anywhere else. So maybe that is a. How does this is off topic? How does Magneto fly? He manipulates magnetic waves. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't he manipulate the um, metal the metal in his body? I'm not sure if he can do that. I'm not sure if that's how they say that he flies or the if he iron in his blood. Yeah. Something like that. Something, yeah. I don't know. I, I just presumed he could um with the magnetic fields or force, he can kind of, you know, yeah. limited telekinesis. Hmm. Tactile telekinesis. <laughs> <laughs> I touch things and then they ask later, Namor's like, uh, you know, can you open it? He's like, It's a brass tin iron composite. Yes. And I was like, What does it really matter? What if Hey, let's talk. Let's talk about. Let's talk about what didn't happen in this uh, issue, like much. Like he he goes and buys an island. Yeah. With a, uh, with a favor to, for a favor to Emma, he buys an island with a favor to Namor and gets this key that we don't know about. Yeah. This felt this felt like a cutscene in a video game that I paid five dollars for. I, I thought also the introduction of Namor was a little disappointing. He's on the island, and I was like, ah, who would own an island? Maybe Namor. And then it shows in, like, page three, you get that which characters are in this book kind of thing. And mm-hmm. Namor is one of the characters. And I was like, well, I guess I guess that's who it is then. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, and so I, I would have yeah, rather. There are only three characters in the story. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah like I said, this was, this was fine. Um, you know, uh, for uh, an issue that looks like this, yeah, I was very excited to read this issue, and then I was like, "Oh, all right, that happens." I mean, for as far as 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 far as I'm concerned, <clears throat> I'm very concerned. <laughs> no, uh, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> there's been there's been three giant size X Men issues now. Mm-hmm. Um, it was um the Jean Grey and Storm. Emma, uh, Emma Frost. Frost. Yeah, Jean Grey and Emma Frost. Um, Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler and, and this. Um, one of them was really good. The other two have been kind of me fine or inconsequential. Like I really, really liked the the Jean Grey Emma Frost one because it felt different. I, I know that I know that uh, Len doesn't like what they did with Storm in the issue when they've not at all brought that up in any other book since. No place uh, yet. Nope. Just get, get uh, a couple of white women running around a black woman's head. But as as a uh, as a pastiche of an old issue, as like an exercise in storytelling, that was something different and something really cool. Um, whereas these other two have just been like weird little side stories that are just feel like junk food. And I almost like I didn't I don't need to read these to know the whole story. Like they're just going to be little side quests that don't really matter, but kind of fill in, I guess. Like, what's the island for? Cool. Uh, I, I guess we'll find out. Yeah, yeah. But, it's a yeah. coming, coming. Yeah. But... I- I enjoyed this sort of uh, laconic nature of the story where it's just like he meets with Namor, they talk a little, they go do a little thing, and then they part with a handshake or there's a handshake in there somewhere. And it, that does not take away at all from what <laughs> what you guys are saying. Like it is, it is a largely inconsequential story. I kind of enjoyed that aspect. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, it's just like Magneto alone on an island kind of thing. Um you know, it's not making it into my favorites list, but I but I had a good time reading it. Good. Yeah, yeah uh, Magneto kind of felt he, he felt re- a little like 
he didn't feel like he had been in the other issues of, of X-Men and whatnot. Very, very um, filled with gravitas and, and no, you know, give no inch. And this is just him kind of like, oh, absolutely. Yes. Thank you very much. Like being very, very, very cordial to the point of like, what's going on? Like, it just didn't even feel like the, the new Magneto. Oh, to me. I- Action figure expert says, haven't you ever heard of transparent aluminum? Nope. Yeah, no. Uh, transparent aluminum is, is very cool. And uh, you guys, it is a aluminum. It's made out of like aluminum powder and it is clear like glass. Um, yeah. It's yeah, it's really cool. They mention it in a Star Trek movie from the 80s, I guess. And then now there is a real thing um, that is called transparent aluminum. Uh, I don't but think also his follow up is even better. Magneto flies by levitating himself because uh, he's wearing like a metal belt or a helmet or the metal in his shoes or something. Huh. Of course, he would have metal elements in his costume. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, I like that. He just like rode the magnetic. And so it's like he protects magnetism out of his hands. So he, re- you know, like kind of like an Iron Man deal, repulsor ray flight. You know what I think it is. My brother, my big brother, he used to grab me by the head and just lift me by my head when oh. I was a small when I was a smaller boy. So I imagine that's what he does with his helmet. His helmet just clamps <laughs> around his neck. Yeah, you're joking. Himself by his own head. You're joking. <laughs> but as soon as he said with the shoes and the belt, I'm thinking like weight like, dispersal. <laughs> that's awful. Like, <laughs> how would you control like anything smooth yeah. moving back and forward if all you're doing is like from the fucking hip or like your left foot? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't get that. <laughs> Comics are hurting me. They're breaking my heart over and over again. Venom number 26 by Donnie. <laughs> oh, Cage. wait, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Just, yeah. just a, one little small comment about this story. I felt oh. it was very inconsequential, just like I agree with everything that y'all said. That being said, I still enjoyed it <laughs> because it is a gorgeous looking comic. Yeah. Oh, Ramon so? Perez can. I, oh, I, I, I loved it. I, I enjoyed this. No, the, not a lot happened, so he's not asked to, like, you know, show a whole lot of bells and whistles. But I thought his character design and, and the faces that he drew, I thought they were, okay, he draws a weird Namor. I mean, but at least he's trying something different from Namor. He's giving him a different face, you know? He was a weird-looking guy. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I liked his, I liked his art. I loved his Emma Frost. Um, I liked it. That's, wow, that's cool. You know, I was I was keeping my mouth shut because I didn't want to be mean. But one of the things that the diamond uh, thing says, John Hickman continues his one shot showcasing some of Marvel's best artists. And I went, real, really? That's Wait, what this is? Um, I actually edited that because it said showcases Marvel's greatest artists. Now, Ben Oliver and Hickman are blah, 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 blah. So Whoa. originally solicited. This was not Ramon Perez. It was Ben Oliver. Oh, yeah, I, I was very, um, I won't say put off, but I found the artwork to be subpar for a Marvel book. Mm. Are you but serious? I'm glad you liked it. it. Yeah. Are you serious? You think this is subpar? I think this is just as good as most of the books that we've read so far. Cool. I th- honestly, I think that this, his, I mean, don't, don't make it wrong. Like I said, he's not asked to like show, you know, show a lot of action and movement and anything like that. Okay, I mean, you point that out, and I'll point and I'll point out this page, which and, and I've got bad lighting, so I, I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. Oh yeah, the, oh, the dinner is beautiful. Shot of the, the of dinner the or yeah. the banquet room. It's beautiful, man. Yeah. I think yeah. I think yeah. he does some really 
good stuff. I think this is this is beautiful art, man. I'm glad. And that and that like shot, it. that design yeah, right there, awesome. the Sentinel cool. building. I mean, come on, man. And you you know that's the Sentinel that destroyed Genosha too. She's like she wants that exactly. on her mantle. I love that <laughs> idea. Yeah. I do like this panel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. JD, I I I disagree, my friend. Uh, respectfully, you're stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Um, uh, Saturday Night Live. Jane, you ignorant slut. <laughs> yeah. Look, at, you don't like that. No. No, no I don't either. <laughs> oh, I do. I, I mean, like. I like the design. I don't like his faces that much. Yeah. But yes, yes. You know what? It feels. Um, who's that other guy who does really good backgrounds and metal work? Um, Salvador Larocca. Yeah, sure. Oh, he's not. A, oh, I don't think this is as bad as Salvador. Oh no, no. I'm talking about uh, like if it's mech, if it's design, it's beautiful. But as soon yeah. as it's faces, it's it's Sawyer from Lost. It's it's oh like God, it's true. Greg, Greg Land yeah. looking faces with like yeah. fake skin. Oh man, I really disagree with y'all. I think it's, for the most part his for face Salvador is Laroca? No, Salvador LaRocca is trashed. <laughs> um I I'm liking this. I'm, I'm liking this Ramon Perez, man. Cool. I, I'm no, it. I I usually love Ramon Perez. Um yeah, I mean, uh, it's just this this one. I don't know. Did you say the original artist was supposed to be Ben yeah, Oliver? I was gonna say can we be he probably did this really fast. If if the original yeah. solicitation three months ago was Ben Oliver. I yeah, mean, I wonder. Turned out a double-sized issue yeah. in less than sixty days. No, normally I like Perez quite a bit. Yeah, I just this was not his strongest work. I don't think. Um, Venom number twenty-six by Donny Cates and Iban Coelho. If you thought Venom Island was insane comic book action of the highest order, then shut your yapper and face front, true believer, because we're about to outdo ourselves. For months, the maker has been fascinated with symbiotes. In this issue, we find out why and what he intends to do with any he can get his hands on. I thought this was a bucket of fun. I really enjoyed this. Um, I, I didn't know what to expect when I saw the cover of the book. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know who this was. Neither do we as readers. Um, so I, I thought, oh, and so what is this? Venom Beyond starts here. I was wondering if this was a character that I missed from previously, but I think this is his first appearance. Um, there's a couple of fun scenes in here, which I like. Uh, Venom is intimidating. Also, the artwork. God damn it. See, Len, this is my jam. This this artwork is my jam. I like this stuff. Um, but basically, he, you know, he's intimidating a uh, someone he needs information from, and he says, you can lie to us or you can live, but you cannot do both, which oh. I thought, well, that's a badass line. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I, I do think it's funny that even when he's just hanging out with his child, uh, his venom still has a giant slobbering ton, tongue and horrible monster teeth. Mm -hmm. Well, his, his kid is not afraid of it because his yeah. kid sees visions of like null and actually does have like symbiote power in his blood and shit. Mm -hmm. um, I, I did anybody read the arc before this? Was that Venom Island? Venom Island. Yeah, yeah. yeah you read some of it, right? Yeah. yeah, like he's he's um he's got no hands now and it like so it's it's full symbiote necessity, kind of like how Flash Thompson once, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um yeah, that, that character is his name is Virus or its name is Virus. It's a hodgepodge of like 
Iron Man armor, uh, a weird paint job stitched together, and a and a and a Goblin glider. I yeah. have no idea who like this came out of nowhere in this book. This character has not been like seated. No idea who it is. It could be literally anything and anybody. Hmm. Which and they all go into um, a weird time bubble. No, no, um, a, a gate. They go through a gate. So uh, it does not take place on this earth. <laughs> well, I mean, so so the maker, which is Evil Reed Richards from the Ultimate Universe, has been building, has been using um, research from all kinds of other places, and he's been a big part of this book. He's been trying to get back to his original universe, the Ultimate Universe, which is still happening. Um, and he does, but in doing that, everyone that's in the room gets sucked in through this thing into either the future or another space or anything, but it looks like all of them go through and Venom and his son are in this beyond uh, timeline. Hmm. So it's a futuristic timeline with a different type of Venom that looks like it has the null logo. Hmm. So this is literally going to be like a far flung kind of arc. Hmm. Where do you see the null logo? Is that what this is all in red everywhere? Yeah. That's the null logo? Yeah. It's okay. like, um, I mean, in, in a lot of the solicitations and, and like on his, the art on his chest is like a much more angular version of the Venom. Oh, I see on. it now. Yeah. It's almost like the spider. I see it. Yeah. But without the, the single arms. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize what that was. It looked a little Magneto-y to me. Hmm. It does have like an M-ish to it. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's that looks like the null logo. So they're like the Venom Beyond of the title. It seems to be kind of a, a kind of a play on Batman Beyond, like a future version of that's not mm -hmm. original, which I think is really fun. I think it's I always think it's funny that um, like this is a Venom book. And of course, through happenstance, they go into a future where a Venom villain has taken over. <laughs> now, very rarely do you see like. Uh, a character go into a, a a future in their own book and like it's some some random villain has taken over. This is, this is like, oh no, it's the pace yeah. future. There's there's one of them out there. Yeah. So Len, what did you think? Hated it. You say I hated it? I didn't say that. I I did I didn't say that. My I null that. puppet said that. I, said um, oh. I, I hated it. <laughs> Yeah, this was. I hated this. This was. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's not so much that I hated it because, just like you, JD, the art is good. You can't yeah. knock the art. It's fun. It's inventive. It's having a lot of fun. It's very intimidating. That scene that you pointed out is a great scene. Great line. Great way to set it up storytelling wise with the artwork. I enjoyed it. I just, I to echo my my uh, fellow triple randy i just don't give a fuck about venom and i just and i just reading this give less of a fuck about him and his kid and now it's venom beyond uh, uh and we've we've left earth and now he's got to go have some time alternate universe slapdash bullshit bring it on yeah I, I, and that's cool that's cool i mean i just don't i i don't care it's not for me but it looks like it's competently done so enjoy yourselves 
I mean, there were just like this is just banging the drum for December when the big um, Venom event happens, the the Null event. Oh yeah, is that coming in December? You said. Yeah, it's uh, the King in Black. Oh, okay. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This is just this is just all precursor for another universe event, a la Absolute Carnage, but bigger. Where it's no versus Pace Pot Pete. <laughs> well, I mean, I I don't want I like if you read the rumors online, Null is Pace Pot Pete or Pace. Okay. Pot, Pete. <laughs> It's a whole thing. That's not symbiote. It's a paste. <laughs> it's like Pace Bob Peace is a sleeper agent for Null. He's been on the universe for thousands of years. It's a whole thing. But um, it's great. It's going to be great. Let's, let's move. We're, we're running out of time. Savage Dragon number 250 by Eric Larson. Eric Larson's Savage Dragon hits issue 250 for 28 years. Eric Larson has chronicled the lives and times of the dragon and his extended family in one of comics only series set in real time. This monumental oversized milestone issue is a sweeping culmination that sets the stage for the next phase of comics most uncompromising series with its most shocking story yet. Forces have conspired against Malcolm Dragon and his family, but is this a turning point or the end? Find out as Savage Dragon becomes the second original image title to reach its 250th issue and begins the countdown to number 300. <laughs> In in the year 2050? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I will say that uh, as someone who absolutely loved the Savage Dragon when it first released, and I read it for at least the first 75 issues, I think, um, and I was looking forward to it every month. Um, I'm very proud that Eric Larson was able to do this, and he continues to do it basically on his own, uh, except for in this where there's like little stories by other creators. And... Um, there's a strange thing happening in this book where mm. it's very sexual. It's a very <laughs> sexual book. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I, I battle with myself on how I feel about it. Cause on one thing, sex positivity, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's great. It's no, there's no problem with, you know, um, having, having sexual relations um, and depicting them in comic books. Um, but it's also very it's it's very gratuitous, um, but it's also having a lot of fun with it. So I I'm still I'm still trying to figure out how I feel because the book was not always this way. Um, I can't. There's almost it's hard to show you any images from the book. You, you so, can't. Yeah, you can't. Um, so I this is this is the first Savage Dragon anything I've ever read. Oh wow! So great. And, yeah. Okay. So I'm very familiar. I'm familiar with the character, how he looks, right? Like, you know, image equals savage dragon and spawn. So I'm, I'm familiar with the character in that sense, but I've never read it before. I don't know what the tone should or shouldn't be. Uh, I read this issue and it was, it was, it was very, and it was intentionally non-essential. Right. It was intentionally mundane. Like, because the actual story of the book is that they're all in quarantine because of COVID. Mm -hmm. So you've got all of these Skype calls happening. You've got all of these. So, like, he's he's hitting in on characters that I have no idea who the hell they are. But they're just having conversation about what's school like there? How are you guys doing? Are you being safe? So this happens over and over again. And in between each one, his wife gets super, super horny for him. 
and they have sex. So it's this this idea. I, I understand like the the larger plot of this book or the the larger point of it is what we're doing indoors or what we can't like <laughs> what all that's left to do is to just like survive and sleep with each other, survive and sleep with each other. Like it's just I get it. That's that's kind of funny, but it just was a it was a little boring to read. It was just like all right, cool. I like I I get I like the idea of it, but it just it was just fine. Uh, and then of course there's a big old action scene where they you know were dragon and I guess this is dragon's son. Yes, yeah, this is his son. It's his son. No. Yeah, um, he and his wife naked fight off a bunch of assassins that show up. Yeah, and he rips him in half. Yeah. Now, I'm assuming that's supposed to be the other character's foot. <laughs> But oh, maybe it's not. Uh, I don't know. Right. Yeah, uh, for the other leg. Yeah. Wow, I didn't even notice that. You're right. But um, there is there's some wild art in here, like things dripping and awesome dripping. And I'm like, all right. I didn't know that this was that kind of book. So, all right. Oh well, to JD, to what JD said, I actually he read the first 75 issues. I probably stayed with Savage Dragon through the first 150 issue. No, maybe not that long, but definitely into the 100s. And um, it's a book that I will celebrate that was never afraid. Eric Larson was never afraid of changing the book on it on a dime. Yeah. Um, having things happen in real time. Um, and he was never afraid. He, he was up front. I write my book for me. So I'm not saying necessarily it's an adult only book, but just know that I'm an adult writing it for me and take your lead from there. And with that, it was sexual. It would they they would go I mean there's a famously an issue where the original Savage Dragon takes on God and basically oh. gives God the middle finger um in the book. Awesome. Um, but he has always in his artwork, it's been like problematic is not the word for it. I mean, like if you'll notice in this, in this book, there are tons of protruding, um, uh, uh, breasts through shirts and, it's a lot of TNA. Even the robot, even the robot has like hard nips the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, and that's just what he does, dog. Um, and so yes, did he lean in on it on this one? Is it purposefully mundane? Yes. Um, do I get what he's trying to do? Yes. I don't think artistically, Eric Larson has never been the strongest artist in the world. Um, and I think it it this book suffers because of that because there's no try like he's having these zoom calls but there's no really idea design sense to give you the idea that that it actually is a zoom call outside of saying that it's a zoom call i i'm actually i was very impressed with this one page that i already showed earlier um where they're having there you can see the two different zoom calls happening and and um the the floor it designates mm -hmm. what, what's happening. Right. I thought this was a great page layout. Yeah, um, and that is. Two different families. 
but yeah, let's go ahead. But, but that's that one page. And then yeah. a, a lot of the other pages are just one person, usually a woman, standing in something tight or revealing in full shot. Uh, <laughs> and then just a whole bunch of stuff, conversation happening on the other side. Um, yeah. I, I just... I. I, I like JD. I want to celebrate Eric Larson for reaching this. For the most part, he's for the most part he has written and drawn all of these 250 issues yeah. um, over these 28 years, and that is something to be celebrated because you don't have that anymore. Yeah. Um, but it also you got to call it out for what it what it is. Yeah. There's and a then, lot of this, and in today's I, in today's climate, don't scroll down and you could see like upper skirt. Yeah. yeah, in today's climate, in today's world. Dog, you 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 can't be doing that, man. You can't be doing that, and 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 I don't know whether or not this book has an an, an all ages. Um, like there should be some type of warning on the front of this book. Oh yeah, <laughs> there should like I'm, mature and I'm not sure if there is. Well, I'm not sure if there is. Let's talk about that. like. I, nope. I am not like I'm not a prude about things. It's just. For me, there has to be a reason as to why. Like, what are you trying to say by doing X, Y, and Z? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's—I guess he just wants to draw the detail of of a of a woman's lower region for no, like, just cause. Because there's no yeah. story reason why. Like, um, who are the uh, you guys that have read a bunch of Savage Dragon? Who are the uh, spider ladies that shoot? webs out of their hoo-hahs because this is my favorite line in the entire book his wife says stop watching porn i'm not watching porn you're watching girls squirting goo out of their hoo-hahs that's porn <laughs> I, I forget, she is an actual character like in that oh, the universe just squirting things I, her name I, is web spinner yeah <laughs> <On the note. laughs> literally and technically she literally does spin webs like a spider would that's so cool. So, oh, you know. yeah. no, I know. I mean, look, the fake fake anatomy aside, it's <laughs> still <laughs> it's still weird. And he calls it out as weird in the book. So it's just like he knows what he's doing. But I don't personally as a reader, I don't understand what he's trying to say other than people be effing. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. I mean, if that's your thing. I think the sex positivity that J.D. mentioned is also like not not uh countering what anything that you guys have said but like i just think it's another good element to yeah. keep in mind you know um concurrently because at, no, at no point is anyone um forced to do anything that they don't want to do like the characters yeah. are in love they're married yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just there it's covid time and they're just like well time to get it on hey robot Robot made. Watch the kids so we can have fun. And they have, and if I find fun ways to do it, so I'm all, I'm, I'm all with that. It's just the artwork, the depiction of it. It's gratuitous. None of it, gratuitous. None of it's, none of it is offensive. It's just gratuitous, and I yeah. don't understand necessarily why it's gratuitous, other than the artist just wanting to draw that much detail. So like right. I, like there's a disconnect with how I'm supposed to receive it because other than him wanting to do that. I don't. I don't know why it's or how it serves the story. I guess also it is. It is the reality of what would be taking place in the story that he's telling, right? Um, just because when people have sex, they see each other naked, right? Gratuitous is in the eye of the beholder, and it is presented just as you would see it. But 
it is certainly not as art is commonly presented. Um, you know, I don't know. You know, I also think of things like, um, is it an American problem that we're having? Because, you know, you, you look at books like uh, Heavy Metal or 2000 AD and stuff like that, um, or other um, nations comic book work is, is very similar. I I don't know. There's a difference between there's a difference between full frontal nudity and literally depicting uh, a stream of excrement coming out of or excitement coming yeah. out of when they're jumping through the air. Yeah. Like there is a difference. Yeah. I, well, I mean, the difference is gratuity. Like the 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 purpose of depicting it in such a way. This is, has nothing to do with just showing a naked woman. Yeah. It's showing a naked woman in a gratuitous fashion that doesn't serve the story or what you're trying to like she's just so horny there's a yeah well also it's not just really weird drawing, it's not just drawing a woman it's yeah. drawing every every woman, woman. It, yes yeah. So, yeah i didn't uh i didn't get to this one i i was interested i just didn't get to it my thing is do you also see savage Dra savage dragon naked like nope. do you see his penis you see his no. butt you see his butt see that's what if you were going to show a woman completely nude, like why wouldn't he also? But I didn't read it, so I didn't see. You know, I don't know how the story played out or what have you. Oh, he's definitely the Michael Bay of comic book artists, where it's all gratuity, uh, gratuitous images of a woman, the sexualization of the woman's right, right. form in this. And to J and to Noel's point about like some some books like your your like heavy metal and things of things of that nature, yeah. There are books that have that will be a little, you know, blatant with their full frontal nudity, or maybe even let's say a little gratuitous. And you know what? What those books will have? They'll have a label on the front of them that says that that's what it is. This book needs this, a label for sure. This book doesn't have that label. Agreed. Yeah, the label would be good for people's expectations. Um, uh, JD. Uh, I had a I had a question for you. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Uh, you know, in in the old days, artists would they couldn't just do art; they had to eat, so they got patrons to pay for their art. And I wondered if there's anything here in the modern time that if people wanted that experience of paying for art, that they could uh, get that they could yeah. get, they could get that. I'm so glad you asked this, Brian. Well, Specifically, no one else has to listen to this, but Brian, for you, yeah. if yeah, yeah. you specifically want to help out the show, yeah. you could go to patreon.com slash Johnny Destructo and help mm -hmm. us out that way. Ah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I'll tell anybody else if they ask. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to. It's, it's really okay. this information is secret and it's just for Brian. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to the last book. Strange Adventures number three, Tom King, Mitch Jarrods, Evan Doc Shaner. Can Adam Strange handle the truth? After the cosmic adventurer was accused of murder and had his whole record as a soldier questioned, he turned to the Batman for help clearing his name. But someone else was needed to ensure that the investigation would be truly impartial. Enter Mr. Terrific, the man for whom fair play is a credo to live by. Be careful what you wish for, Adam Strange, because your life is about to be turned upside down. Just like the Fresh Princes. This could be one of the greatest tests you've ever faced. Like when you had to provide yourselves in Rand's gladiatorial arena. This adventure between two worlds continues with Mitch Jarrod's 
drawing the gritty Earth sequences and Doc Shaner showing us the splendor of Adam Strange's battles in outer space. This book is so goddamn good, uh, which is strange because I don't like Tom King for the most part. But this book is fantastic. There is insidiousness to it. Um, I, I don't know what's happening. I don't know who to believe. But I am 100% engaged. I'm enjoying it. The art is wonderful. The layouts are great. Uh, I do prefer the Evan Doc Shaner panels to the uh, Mitch Jarrods panels. But they are both excellent. And they're telling an engaging and mysterious story that I'm curious to see how it wraps up. What did you guys think? No. Oh, I thought this was awesome. I thought this was just straight up wonderful. It's got me on the edge of my seat. I actually kind like as much as I love the Doc Shaner stuff, I actually almost prefer the Mitch Jared stuff. I love how he depicts. Um, I love how he depicts uh, this couple. I love how he his his facial acting is just so spectacular to me. Yeah. Um, I love how he depicts Shayna. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, like he doesn't over sexualize her, but she's so confident that she's incredibly appealing. Alana? You mean Alana. Alana. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like, I didn't know her name before this issue. So, yeah. yeah. Same, same. <laughs> but uh, and I had to double check that. <laughs> just in general, like, I, I love, I love uh, uh, Jared's acting. And I love Doc Shaner's um, action. So, like, this is just the most wonderful package. Yeah, like, just talking. straight up, Straight up blowing smoke in Batman's face. Yeah. Talking at Batman like that is just such a baller move. Yeah. I love these characters and I don't know. I don't know anything about them or um, if they're on the level or not, which I think is great. Like all this stuff that we're seeing from Doc Shaner, the, the flashbacks. I have no idea if these are accurate. <laughs> like this could just be an unreliable narrator telling us mm. made up stories, which I think is just a really, really great way to tell a story. Just kind of keep you interested. Um, this is this yeah. book. is awesome. Yeah, I really like it, Len. I'm enjoying it. It's it's um it's playing out like a nice little mystery story. Mm -hmm. Uh so that's what I, I'm enjoying. I like the little Justice League cameos, Hawkman, Superman, and even the Batman at the end. Um uh I do like this kind of like 21st century reimagining of the whole tale of Adam Strange. I mean, because the, the the legend of Adam Strange is that he's this guy who disappears for a time, and we're, we, Earth, are meant to believe that he's off on Ran having these adventures um, because he tells us so. None of us went yeah. to Ran, you know? So, um, I'm, I'm, I'm actually doing, uh, digging it, and I like what he's doing with Alana Primarily because no one has done anything with Alana ever. So so that she is actually has a personality I'm enjoying. Um, and it makes sense that she will be ride or die for her husband because she knows the real. Y'all know what he's telling you. I know the real. Why? Mm -hmm. Because I'm there with him. That's what a ride or die wife will do. So I am liking their dynamic. I'm not that big of a fan of Mr. Gerard. To me, he does a lot too much uh, copy and paste for me with some of his imaging. But for the most part, it is kind of cool. I 
I can live with his advent his adventures. The other art is like crazy enjoyable like this is like the best anime one of the best animated things on on the, on the uh in the comics next to anything by nick darrington it is really fun that um, and alien is awesome that alien yes. design is yeah. so incredibly awesome it's like a furry mantis warrior thing and it's awesome but I, but I like the character designs of them, yeah. and and they and they all have faces that not only show ferocity but also show in, inquisitiveness when they're when he he cuts to the people like in the stands just watching them, watching them battle. Um, I, I I'm really enjoyed it. The, the the sad part about it is that like it's being introduced, it's written in pieces, and that yeah, if you scroll over on and it's just, it's just like a, this is some good stuff. This is yeah. some good stuff. Have any of you guys read um, Tom King and Mitch Sherrod's Sheriff of Babylon? I read the first issue for the podcast years ago. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful book. But there's a main character, uh, a female main character in it called uh, named Sophia. So uh, her Americanized name is Sophia, Sophie. Um, she very much reads like Alana in this. Huh. A, a an incredibly competent, shrewd when necessary, but careful like caring woman and it like it, it made me um it made me really really appreciate what he's trying to do i would highly suggest that book for somebody though nice i uh i had a different take on this oh. uh the uh so first of all the art is awesome the cover is amazing and like this scene where they're going where superman and adam strange see the alien thing uh great great art i read this book with horror <laughs> as, as it unfolds because it's just like gross and grimy like you say insidious there are there are stories where i would be all right that's good it's well told it's a well-told story why is adam strange on tv why did he write a book defending himself why is he not the hero adam strange you know like ah. i mean it Alana's characterization is good, except for the parts where she's dives into that part of things, like you know uh, uh, the the more insidious aspects of things. Alana, I mean uh, Aaliyah, their daughter. I think they gave away to the Picts to secure a peace treaty. You know, something, something bad happened. Mm-hmm. Adam Strange and Alana's daughter that he used to go have fun sci-fi adventures that uh, uh, there's a question on the cover of uh, Amazing Science Fiction question <laughs> mark um, and I don't know uh, Batman, it's Thomas Wayne is bad in the Batman book Wally West turned out to kill everyone and now Adam Strange is not so great and I mean w- why why is this the case? You know, I just want to hug you. That this is a good. Uh, thank you, no. Thank you, no. Um, and it's like, would I feel this way if it was some character that I never heard of? You know, like you guys. Maybe not. I still wouldn't be super into the daughter problem that is building. You know, the, mm-hmm. it looks like the pivotal issue of this whole story is what's going on with Aaliyah. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, I might be more into it if it if it was somebody that I never heard of. Like when you said Sheriff of Babylon, I was like, I'd check that out. That sounds cool. You, you sure? know. Um the 
the that those aspects, those story themes are not the story themes that I really like to indulge in. From time to time, I can read one and be like, oh, that was well done. That was cool. Um, I like Adam Strange being like a bright, fun guy, uh, the hero of Ran, you know. Um, so, you know, I, it's a black label book. Maybe they'll do it. It'll be a cool story. And nobody will ever pick up on any of these threads again. Oh it's yeah, I'm sure this is well out of continuity. Also, too, like I don't, I don't know if I don't know if these two things can't be this, uh, true at the same time. So mm-hmm. this is a specific perspective about his adventures. It doesn't negate the adventures he had before. It's just like the the mm-hmm. uh, the shadow of that brightness. Like I, I, I don't like. I think that they're. I think that they're trying to make a case for him, maybe not being as honest as he as he seems to be. Yeah, but I, I don't think that that's the point of the story, or that it's going to how it. I don't think that it's going to be revealed that he's really like a murderer that did this. Awful right. Thing right. No. No. I bet it's way more complex than that, and it's way more like, look, your heroes are people too, and they had a horrible thing happen, right? And like I said, it's not like those stories I I can't get behind sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um. Sometimes I'm a little like, yeah, you can look at anything in a negative way. You know what I mean? And, and of course, if there is a real negative thing that happened, like sometimes, you know, sometimes some dude killed somebody or did some awful thing that he really shouldn't have done. It, that's not just perspective. But um, it, it, will, it remains to be seen, you know, how this will play out. Mm-hmm. Who knows? But, I, yeah, I mean, if he maintains his regular position in the regular DC universe... I'm down. I like his main DC universe as in barely existing. That's what I was yeah. about to say. What is his position in the DC universe? He yeah. has no position in the DC universe. He's basically been sitting someplace off in limbo, bait, bent over, waiting for somebody to come and fuck with him because nobody's doing nothing with him. <laughs> so now Thomas King is, is over there. It's like, yo, bro, I got you, dog. Let me let me, let me handle you. Let me give you some of this real good. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Wait, look, look. I can I can I make an observation? Yeah, uh, I, the, not like to call you out, but it, it seems as though this made you uncomfortable. It did, and it I did. think that I think that that's actually pretty awesome. I, I love did. the fact that this made you uncomfortable. It because did. it made you uncomfortable in like a in a in a um an emotional way, not just like a no, I don't like this. Like it was just like, what are they doing to my character? To me, that makes it an even more successful issue. So I, uh, I, thought of, I thought of that argument exactly. And I thought there is the skill of the writer and his ability to do that. And then there is reading a story that I like, you know, and that is important too. And this is not meant as a come down on what you said, mm-hmm. but just like, I think in, in analysis of this kind of thing, we sometimes prioritize the, the skill of the writer. Like, wow, they got you to feel this way. But also important to me is, well, how do I feel? You know, and like, did I like the story? But I'm with you. Like, that is a good that is a good story as well. It's not just what are they doing with Adam Strange, but that is a big element of it. You know what yeah. I mean? There are other elements where I'm like, why is he? Why is it like this? Why is it not just he's good? You know, like, anecdotally, uh, a crude example of that is my my mother mm-hmm. hates Meryl Streep. Mm-hmm. She explicitly hates Meryl Streep mm-hmm. because of how big of a bitch she was in sure. Kramer, Kramer for yeah. years. <laughs> and I'm like, Mom, yeah, that makes her one of the best actresses. Yeah, you right. still hold a grudge about a fictional character. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you hate her because she's so good. And like yeah. you have like these emotional emotional aversions to something because they're so successful at averting. Right. Okay. I think I mean, that's really I, don't, I don't hate Tom King. I want to give him a hug, right? Yeah. Like, you were hugging me earlier. Yeah. I want to. I want to snuggle up Tom King and be like, <laughs> <laughs> I, want to, I want to snuggle up Tom King. <laughs> oh, hello. Hey, Melly G. Yeah. Hey, Mel. Gotta talk. Well, it's time. It's time for the second part of the show where we do gotta talk. Uh, which was a show that Len and I would do um, every week where we would talk about the periphery of the pop culture world and, and things that were going on uh, around comic books and movies and what have you. And we decided to fold that into the podcast that you're now watching. Uh, but no, no, you had received a correspond correspondence from a listener. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? And then we can move on. Uh, yeah. Uh, Carl Carl's. Um, friend of the show, um, had uh, messaged us or messaged me based off of the Thunder Run that we did this previous week or earlier this week where I got to talk, where I got to talk about um, uh, Amazing Spider-Man run by J. Michael Straczynski, which included uh, an issue that we didn't talk about when we were talking about it. So he he chimed in with his two cents. I will I will read it. He didn't he didn't um, uh, approve this for air, but, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Noel. I just listened to your thunder round on JMS's Spider-Man and I I have I have up on it. I gave up on it after the 911 issue, which is actually like four issues into the run. So, wow. He gave up on it early. Um not a big fan of using tragedy for entertainment. More to the point, have issues with fictional characters being used during an actual tragedy. Feels like trying to profit off the pain and suffering of others. I know that's more about me than anything else, so I have not revisited the series since Walking Away. I had heard that it had petered out despite its strong beginning, <laughs> and I had often thought I should go back and try and give it another chance, but just haven't. So the idea that he, very early on in the run, uh, was was put off by the, the 9-11 issue, which, again, happens, I, I could double check, but it happens like four or five issues into the, into the run, which is very early on, um, that that turned him off completely. And he didn't. He never revisited it. So my response to that is, having read it when it first happened, um, I thought it felt to me. You know, I've also was kind of you know as privy as anyone who's not in the industry can be privy to sort of the conversations that were happening, um, and it seemed like it was. Not a cash grab uh, where it was like, oh, let's do an issue involving 9-11 so that everyone will buy it. But it did feel to me like an honest response to a tragedy that happened. And it was their way of dealing with it mm -hmm. and uh, writing and drawing a thing to, yeah, to to work around, work their emotions around it. Um, it didn't feel like a cash grab to me. It, it felt genuine, and uh, it definitely wasn't something that I think was supposed to be taken as the characters inside the Marvel Universe were actually dealing with it, but mm -hmm. oh, just for a way for the creators to um, have a little bit of therapy. Yeah. And, you know, I remember kind of laughing um, 
with friends about Dr. Doom. There's a scene where Dr. Doom, like a single tear falls and he's like there at, at ground zero for nine 11. And it just felt kind of disingenuous because he's Dr. Doom <laughs> who is responsible for countless murders. And, um, yeah, so obviously that was a way of saying like, hey, this isn't really the characters. This is just us making a statement about this event. And I was glad that they did it. I felt like it would have been more callous if they just if Spider-Man kept swinging through the city and having a having a grand old time without dealing with 9/11. So that was the way I took it. Um, I'm not. Sh- I haven't reread it since then. It's not something I've wanted to revisit. But I, I wonder how it holds up now. Um, I have an opinion on that because I just read it. Uh, it's six issues in, by the way. It's issue number 36, and his run starts with 30. So it's one arc, and then you've got this. Um, the The plot of the story is 9-11 happens, and Spider-Man doesn't know how to react. Oh, oh that double-page spread. Oof. Yeah. It, is, it is a very powerful... Like, artistically, John Romita Jr. just as a New Yorker draws the shit out of this issue. But um, it is Spider-Man going through and just trying to save as many people as he can from falling debris and helps a a small child find their parents who are not alive. Uh, But it reads as a, it reads as a frantic response to a tragedy, which is, um, and and in the, uh, in the back matter of this volume, they talk about uh, the inception of the issue. It was not planned. Um, Yeah. That'd be weird. Yeah. (laughs) It was. I mean, they weren't not going to do anything about it. Yeah. 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 Um, But then uh, JMS over the course of uh, like 24 hours was just like, I wrote something. Can we do this? Mm. So it was, it, it is a very guttural reaction using fictional characters Mm-hmm. Um, Spider-Man just kind of flies around the city helping whoever he can and constantly kind of talking about the real heroes who were the first responders. Yeah. The the issue itself is it's weird to separate the event with the issue. Um how it handles the event, uh how it um were I to have read it in 2001. Mm. It would have been effective. It would have been emotionally effective. It was for me. Reading it now, it's very platitudinal. It's very, it's it's got a tinge of nationalism. Um, and then the whole back half is essentially JMS's kind of we're all one race word vomit, which is something that he felt he needed to get out. So by that, it is, it's great, but it doesn't age in a timeless emotional way just if that makes sense yeah it's very very dated because it's very very specific and it it doesn't take that extra step of talking about the ramifications or 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 working towards the ramifications of a large global event like that it just kind of talks about how i felt in the moment which i mean effective more or less uh it's it's very interesting yeah spider-man is he is uh ground level character uh, affected by what's happening then and there. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, like, so I read it at the time and uh, you know, like you said, it is a, it's a quick response of a guy who wanted to tell the story. I always felt like it doesn't make sense at all. Some of the, 
the kinds of things that they go through, right? It's one of those real world things that they are reacting as you in the real world would react, yeah. not how they would react to this kind of right. thing. And, uh, you know, um, it kind of reminds me with Dr. Doom of like uh, the mobsters teaming up to fight Nazis, you know, where it, in like the Rocketeer, I think, where it's like, <laughs> well, hey, we're bad guys, but we wouldn't do something like that. It doesn't make sense at all compared to everything else Dr. Doom has done. But, you know, you hit the nail on the head, I think, J.D., where it's, you know, these are the creators speaking through these characters. And at the time, I thought it was it was a good tribute, you know. And, but, you know, I probably won't reread it. The most, the most effective part of the whole issue was um, towards the end, there's uh, Spider-Man is helping out and he sees Captain America in the distance. This is pre-New Avengers, so they've never yeah. really worked together other than whatever. Yeah. Sees uh, Captain America helping just remove girders, like just helping with cleanup. Yeah. That was the most effective part of the whole issue because it's this idea of a icon yeah. just doing what he can, not thinking he's above anything or below anything, just yeah. helping. That was effective and that felt timeless. But then, but then the issue wraps up with, you know, Dr. Doom crying and a bunch of splash pages of first responders. Which is great, but it, it just feels, I think Carl Carl's kind of jumps on it in that way, where it, at that point, in hindsight, it starts to feel agenda-ish. Hey, no, while you have it there, can you just do me a favor and see if the juggernaut shows up in that issue? No, uh, and, and I'm going to throw it to Lynn. I haven't heard from Lynn. What's up, bud? Um, I remember looking at the book. I don't think I've read it um, at the time. Um I remember around that time, both Marvel and DC had done these big com compendiums of like uh, 9 11 stories. Uh, no. Was it Marvel and DC and then the Independents did one? I don't know. I, I collected those. Um, I, I don't have anything to add. Oh. This is rough. This is, it's really rough. It's it's hard separating yeah. personal experience with the effectiveness yeah. of the issue. Um, reading it for the first time twenty years after the event gave me an interesting perspective. Yeah, mm. I do remember, like in the, in the wake of what had happened, um, and considering that this was, you know, there is there is nothing that will match the sight of what happened on that day on 9-11 when like the whole world stopped and and I think it was so much more even so for us in America because probably that's the first time that it is if not the first time the first time in a long time that we had been violence had been inflicted upon us in such a grand scale mm. so visible and other countries can they've they've had this you know they a bomb dropped on hiroshima you yeah. know there have been paris and germany and london have been torn asunder by you know rockets and bombs and had people waging war in their streets We've had war in our streets in the, in the United States. It was us against us for yeah. the most part. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, or, or the people that were here already. 
So this was this is the first time that we really just had this big attack. So the stories that came out in the wake of that in the comics and even in, in fiction, yes, some of them did have a little bit of a a nationalistic bent to them because everybody was feeling more like, you know, rah, rah, arm in arm with one another. Um, And looking at that 20 years later, that can give you a really bad taste in your mouth. I mean, especially with the climate, current climate. So so there's a couple of, there's a couple of panels in here of, you know, big burly white dudes with flag bandanas on. And Mm -hmm. 20 years ago, that was supporting, you know, one culture in the wake of a, of a tragic event. Now that's totally different context. Shitty, awful people using patriotism as a Mm -hmm. way to, you know, or or oppress, which I can't not have that. Like there's, you know, there's a bunch of construction workers, yeah, wearing like American flag yeah. masks, and it immediately makes me think of, yeah, um, fuckers marching on uh, state capitals right. because they were with AK-47s and flags on them because they refused to wear masks. Yeah. So it's very difficult for me to not see the the dangers of blind nationalism without yeah. loving your country and your culture and your and your your con- or you know patriotism, right? I mean, there was some of that then too. Like immediately yeah. afterwards, there was that stuff that was the dark side. Of the oh reaction, yeah, you know, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. As as a guttural response to a tragic event, this is great. Hmm. As as a as a something that that is revisited in like a time yeah. capsule kind of way. Yeah, it's it's um it's not great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like a- I, I remember I was talking to you about the the books that I had, where to the collection of the short stories, and I I had those books forever. I sa- I saved them, you know, I bought them. They were on my shelves forever. And then one day, years later, I said, you know what? I guess these are nice time capsules of a moment. Mm. I but because I collect comics for me, I, the comics I collect, I'm not going to sell. They're going to be mine until until my daughter says she doesn't want them. Um, I'm never going to read this book again, and I don't care about it. And I I I don't I I don't know if I sold it or if I gave it away. I just I I didn't care. Um, I don't know. um to to answer JD's question, now that he's back, Juggernaut, Magneto, and Doom, and Kingpin are just standing there, yeah. sad. The reason I'm asking is because there was an issue of X-Force. It was a sideways issue drawn by uh, Todd McFarlane way back in the day where uh, Juggernaut tries to take down the World Trade Center. Oh. Uh, yeah, okay. and then also, to, like, I did I did kind of dig this. So I, I dig – the parts that I dig in this issue are when the heroes are just trying to help. So yeah. you've, mm-hmm. got, you've got Wolverine, like, cutting girders. Mm. You've got um, uh, Cyclops trying to just, like, force move – rubble mm. like that's to me that's like practical and 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 helpful yeah. Yeah. uh but like i said uh you kind of missed it the the allusions to um extreme patriotism 
have a bad taste in my mouth because well, of the day. Yeah. Sure. For sure. And even them, you know, the extreme flickers. Yeah. Well, you know what though? In, in, like in all fairness, that extreme, that extreme patriotism that drove a lot of oppression was after this book. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Like it was, that was happening in real time. It wasn't as like permeated in like in the consciousness of the country. That's or, true. Like right. it was, you know, it was sell. Yeah, yeah. It was people. there, but it wasn't, it wasn't. Yeah. We it, didn't, it know didn't have it. the access. It didn't have the access to social media. That's it, true. Too. That's what propels all, yeah. all this stupid yeah. stuff. So um, like back to the ahead. question, right? What was okay, the question? No, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I, I interrupted you back, like back to the question. Do you, do you guys think that this is maybe not this example of it is a cash grab, but when fictional things oh. um, try and comment on or reflect no. real world. Yeah, man. No, I think no. comic books are um, have a storied history of mm. responding to things that needed to be re- that, that the creators mm-hmm. uh, feel they have to respond to. Um, going all the way back to Captain America punching Hitler in the face. Yeah. Um, uh, when people say that things are too political in comic books, I vehemently disagree. I think that comics are a great medium to talk about these things and to express yourself and to hopefully um, maybe change other people's minds. That's the whole point uh, for me with some of these books. Um, You know, it's not just entertainment, but it's a way to learn things, you know, even just going back to learning how to read. Um, There are words that I did not know how to pronounce, but I knew what they meant because I read them in a comic book. There are there are other points of view that I am aware of because of comic books. And I think that they are a very strong resource for teaching people different, different things. Um, so yeah, I, you know, whether or not this particular one holds up, I don't, I'm not entirely sure it does, but I, I don't, I don't regret that they did it. Yeah. But that being said, uh, and then I'll sh- shoot it to you, B. I saw you had your hand up. I apologize. No, um, no. Uh, that being said, I'm not blind to the idea that the powers that be see that, okay, yeah, we'll put this story out because I think, like, yeah, writers want to tell their stories and whatever, but um, also it's a story that they can sell. It's a story that they can get over to their readers Um, because I'm not blind to the fact that there are have not been moments in time past and even fairly recent when comic book creators have been um, vetoed by their editorial overlords for viewpoints that they may want to share Mm. or have depicted in their comics as well. Mm. And, you know, that may have a political or social um, uh, ramification to it that the the powers that be may deem not commercially viable for them at this time. So I'm yeah. There's there's I don't think it was a whole cash grab, Hmm. but trust me, they 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 check the numbers. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I mean I. I think similarly, like I, you know, I'm sure in the history of media, because you had asked no, just in general, um, like I'm sure that some of them are are callous. Uh, that was not the feeling that I had with this one, but mm-hmm. 
what do I know about their motivations? I was reacting to the feelings that were put out in the book that I was mm -hmm. reading. Um, I believe that in that in times of that nature, there are people that want to help. And some of those people are artists and they help in that way or they try to help in that way. And people do make money off of it. And it gets into a whole thing of like, but does that invalidate the original feelings of of wanting to help, right? And or even the people that make money might be like, oh, and it's also it's also good that we make money. And sometimes I think that's a good guide, right? If you're gonna say to yourself, well, it's a good thing that that happened because this other thing happened for me, then it is not a good thing to do, right? <laughs> like if you're ever like, oh, it's a good thing that this tragedy occurred because I made a lot of money off this book, let that be a guide to you. But if you make the book and you happen to make a lot of money off of it, I don't know, whatever you do with the money. Well, I mean, I mean, I think this, this, this isn't almost this, I don't know if this is comparable to other political statements because mm -hmm. this was a unifying tragedy, yeah. right? Yeah. So there was no, there's no danger of, of uh, hurting or, or repelling one piece of the audience, like say, sure. Making a Trump joke would. Right. Sure. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this, this was one of those things that no one, thought was a bad idea. Or well, I mean, Carl Crow thought it was a bad idea. He stopped reading yeah. the book because of it. That's true. Uh, and also, JD, when, when you had mentioned about, like, you learn other people's viewpoints, I'd, I'd heard about novels, and I would assume that it applies to comics also, where you have the capacity to hear a character's internal thoughts, right? And you see their point of view, their motivation. Um, apparently, being exposed to that makes people, uh, tends to make people more empathetic, right? Because they are exposed to the idea that whatever they see in front of them is not necessarily the whole thing, or maybe just the idea of different perspectives and seeing them as real beings. I don't know exactly what it is, but I bet it works with comics too, if they're of that type, where you have either a narrative box or a thought bubble, where they think about things, you know? I think I think experience things, experiencing things from other points of view is paramount to empathy. Um, for instance, even, it's not even um, uh, comic books or novels. I grew up listening to Public Enemy and Ice Cube. And as a small white boy um, living in Northeast Philadelphia, I was in the backyard like mowing the grass or whatever. And I would listen to, these people uh, who are espousing anger at white people that I that I wasn't quite aware of um, up until that point. So I became aware of, of sort of maybe, um, you know, different points of view when it comes to race and stuff like that. And I'm being like, man, white people did some shit, huh? Uh, I, did, I didn't know that because I don't get taught that in school. There's a lot of things that white people do that we don't get taught in school. And I had to find them out through rap albums um so yeah i think in all sorts of mediums uh listening to other different uh points of view is is um very important yeah and that's a good point and it, it because i went to a catholic school growing up which was pretty mixed i i don't know if it was predominantly white i don't really remember but i we certainly had a fair share of white people there but then when I went to high school, I went to high school with the brothers. So, um, like, if you remember, what of 
Well, I guess, I guess it's, the, it's the popular stuff that's taught in high school or, or school, right? It's you're taught slavery because you can't get away from slavery, right. and you can't you can't get away get away from the you know I was the reason for the Revolutionary War, um, but and I guess you're taught about Martin Luther King being killed. I I don't remember being taught about Malcolm Malcolm X. I read about Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. I was not taught about Malcolm X at all. You hardly get past like World War Two usually. Is the is the problem with and that was at least my yeah. experience, you know? Yeah, history yeah. is usually all the way up to World War Two, and then yeah. the last two weeks of school is literally the the, the fifty years after. That. Yeah, yeah. And like Martin Luther King is mentioned, you're aware of him, and like he is a special exception to the timeline, you know? Like so, yeah. you get taught about that, but we're not taught about Tulsa. We're not taught about yeah. Rosewood. Right. We're not taught about. Um, we're not talking about jazz. We're not talking about any cultural yeah. relevance of the black community in high that, school. That's yeah. to be fair, the Tulsa story is not taught in most schools. Period. Either you kind of yeah. like learn that from you know just being in the culture, being a black from person. the Watchmen TV show. Most <laughs> <of them. laughs> a fair a fair number. You're right. You're very true. I mean, but, you know, um, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, but it, it's, it's, it is curious. I, I'm always amazed. And, and again, this gets down to the whole idea of privilege. But I'm always amazed at, at, at how much of the, the, the white experience in the world everyone is assumed to know and should and is, and, mm. and is seen as the default experience. Um, yet when shown something else, so many white people, certainly not my, my learned colleagues here, see is like, oh, I didn't know that, but well, I guess there's an exception to every rule. No, there's always the other side of the goddamn story. And that's the, and that is the definition of white privilege, not ever having to, uh, assume that there's another side of the story because your your history your viewpoint has been so, for so long the default position so much so that you want to not only take it as your default position here in America but that when you travel overseas into other countries you are still expected to be the default position and that's what pisses everybody the fuck off about white people in general i mean yes yeah <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's very difficult. No, it's very difficult um, uh, trying to explain. I have family members who who don't understand or realize what white privilege is, and their their comeback is, "You know what I've struggled through to do X, Y, and Z," which is yeah. accurate and doesn't yeah. diminish the work that they did to struggle. However, just the very basis of existence being afforded X, Y, and Z whether you struggled or not is inherently white privilege. The fact that I've never been followed in a store, the fact that I've never worried when being pulled over, the fact that I could talk back to cops and it's fine. The fact that the fact that my moving in and out of an area won't adjust the, the, the value of homes. The fact that I like all of these privileges based off of nothing that I've ever done yeah. is white privilege. I could shoot up an entire congregation and be taken in safely into custody. But if I sell some yeah. cigarettes on the side, I might get choked to death. 
I mean, even calling those things privileges, though, is those are not privileges. Those are rights that are being taken from other people. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that is the the monstrosity of it. Len, you mentioned, and I think it's like right at the core, the default, right? You think of the the people in power, the white people uh, often, they think of themselves as the default position of humanity, the mm -hmm. standard human uh, right. on everything else is a variation, you know? And that is incorrect. There are no standard humans or we're all standard humans, you know? Um, and, you know, how do we remove that? How do we acclimatize? Even, that even just growing up, here's a very tiny example. Hmm. Even just growing up, I would ask for, a, uh, if I'm coloring something, I would ask for the skin colored crayon, mm. which was yeah. not brown. Yeah. Yep. I, I had a very weird experience. Like I had weird experiences throughout all of high school because I went to a predominantly white high school in Florida because it's Florida. Um, <laughs> to the point where I was the other having Mexican heritage with all of my white friends. Oh. It's so weird that in the absence of, of, of binary choices of like other and race and mm -hmm. they'll take like the group think will take the next possibility yep. to fill yep. that slot. So like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm very white. I pass very white. That's not a problem. However, just having that much cultural heritage in me mm. made me the other, like that vacuum. So like the default of thinking that the default of knowing that you're white and you are, you know, the base, the default, the, the, the mm -hmm. filling any void, or, or taking anything to fill the void of the other because you can't exist on an equal playing field. That's that's inherently a privilege that's just learned, right? It's just there. I, I think we do that. What I've heard from sociologists, right, is that othering strengthens the group yes. of the, everybody else, right? And I think there's a binary, th not binary, but I think there's that is happening. And I think that one of the ways that we identify the world is how is it different from me, right? And there's this much same as me, this much different from me, right? And um, I think that's where, like, the often honest mistake of thinking that other uh, other looking groups of people all look the same, mm -hmm. right? Because you can more easily identify the differences in things that are similar to you. And that, combined with our uh, desire to other, but not having a, a tribe right over there next to our tribe to say those are the bad guys and stick with, you know, that yeah. it, it comes out as, you know, like the blue-eyed, brown-eyed experiment is a, is a classic example where oh, okay. give somebody a, a way to, to do that and they'll do it. They'll group up and it feels good to be in our group. It's a lot of these, oh, it's so hard to untangle because some of them are just how we think. Some of them are uh, responses to evolutionary issues, you know, like so long ago that are no longer serving us now that we recognize that everyone who thinks and talks and feels is a person, you know, or hopefully a lot of people. I'm about to say, hopefully we are. Yeah. So it was, so uh, um, um, anthropologically, it was a crude way of strengthening um, groups by demonizing or just othering. Uh, yeah. Sometimes literally demonizing. I had a professor that told me once that they would say the other tribes, they did not believe that they were human. They believed that they were some sort of monster you know, in their ignorance and maybe partially with a like um, 
uh, survival kind of thing going on. You know, like yeah, this was not the world we live in now. This was this was the world where yeah, I, I just I, I growing up. You know, I, I find the the uh, the the notion of bigotry, uh, or it's it's fascinating that the the perhaps the the origin of it all is to strengthen your your tribe to strengthen the 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 unity of your your group your tribe your your unit is to demonize or or create villains that don't exist yeah that is still pervasive in culture even though we are better and if we could just be one tribe solution right like hey that let's bring this back to comic books the end of Watchmen, the whole idea that to create or, or to to quell division within the human race was to create or fabricate this new other, this trans-dimensional right. thing at the very end. Yeah, which, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was his big trick. Hey, absolutely. Even yeah. the movie, even the movie, which I, I actually do like the twist at the end of the movie, they they othered instead of creating like this giant octopus with all kinds of artists and stuff, they um, made it John Osterman. Like they made Doc Manhattan him the other. This the yeah. other. Like yeah they set him up in, in such a way. I, I, that's just, that's super fascinating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I have a lot of strong feelings about this stuff and I, and I'm a loquacious person by nature, but um, Lynn, I, I uh, would, inter- I want to hear something from you. If you have something. Oh, I don't do. <laughs> First of all, my heartbeat is still going down from my little rant. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> so mind you, I haven't taken my my blood pressure medicine, so I'm just like, whoo, just letting let, letting off the steam yeah. a little bit, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I um, like all this, man. Look, there's one of the things that I have been feeling lately, and I think it's because I recently rewatched Band of Brothers. Right, mm-hmm. HBO series, right? Mm-hmm. Great series, um, but decide and it's about the it's about the Easy Company, the actual Easy Company in World War II, mm-hmm. and it decidedly because World War II is probably the last war that had a a clear black and white enemy, the Germans. They were the, the enemy, the Nazis. Thank you, exactly. Yeah. To be more to the point, the Nazis are decidedly the the enemy of that uh of that war and in the aftermath of that how nothing nazi has been celebrated at all in germany where it started and to think that where it started this evil of the world that it is agreed upon by the world was evil needed to be eradicated so much so that the people in that country have banned it's any mention of it any idea uh idea of it any iconography of it they've banned it Hmm. yet in america it is not only celebrated in factions it is held up as the standard bearer for some of the people here in America. And we are supposed to be cool with that. We've agreed that the mindset of this is 
evil. The world has agreed. Everybody joined against it. Yet in America, we are supposed to still celebrate that you can still uh, um, mm. wrap your that be the flag that you wrap yourself yeah. around, and we're supposed to be good with it. I mean, it, at some point, it's what Germany did is they they said we're going to have a reckoning with what happened here, and at some point. America has to have a reckoning with the shit that has happened here under your pe- your watch, white people, because you, as much as you don't want to be, you are going to be the next Nazis that everyone agrees is the fucking evil that needs to be wiped off of this planet. Not, and I don't want that. I don't want that. I love so I love everybody. I got love for everybody, and I especially got love for for the white people that are in, that are in my life. You are in my life because I love you. I love you all dearly. But I, I but I'm telling you, y'all need to whisper in the ears of your brothers and your sisters because they're gonna fuck it up for y'all. I mean, I'm they already y'all have. right now. They already have. Like, look, look, they they already have. So you're talking about. Um, first of all, yes. Second of all, not only is it celebrated in factions, it's protected by everyone else. Just based off of our culture, based off of the the the, the amendments, it is protected for them to be as fucking stupid as they want to be. All right? That is something that Americans can't necessarily backpedal on. However, we have broken a social contract with each other to protect each other from those factions of stupidity and evil. We have mixed up the idea of perfecting or, or protecting someone's rights to be an asshole. We've mixed it up with allowing somebody to socially be an asshole as much right. as humanly possible. Those are two totally separate things. Culturally and societally, we should be able to be like, no, not fucking here. Go away. Go, go in your little corner and you need to know publicly, you need to be shamed publicly that what you believe in is asinine and wrong and shitty. We don't do that. That does not impede on someone's rights to be an asshole. We just have broken that social contract to to tell them, to inform them that this is wrong. As a society, we have not done that, which is infuriating. Yeah, I, I um, feel that freedom is paramount, right? I feel that Freedom is a building block upon which, um, well, a building block. I, I just feel I have tried to think of like a system of morality defined by personal freedom, right? And allowed mm-hmm. to do whatever. And um, I, I also wonder as to the practicality of it, right? When you ban something, ideas are hard to ban, right? And you, the way that we need to beat that, it's like guns, I think everybody should be allowed to have a gun and nobody should want one, right? Right. We should get to, uh, we need to defeat it as an idea. We need to show why it sucks. And that everyone should be allowed to have a Nazi flag and nobody should want one, right? Yeah, that's, that's the world that I, and just because that freedom is paramount. And that symbol also, that is an old symbol. It used yeah. to mean something really it good. It doesn't you, matter. I know. It doesn't matter at all. And yeah. I want it to come back. And I wonder if it's 
I'm thinking of it in a physical term, right? If it's banned, it's below the surface. And I am not advocating like, oh, it's good that they're assholes out in public. That way we know. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like rooting it out, right? Yeah, I, it, I feel like as a, as a society, we've yeah. failed to, to inform these factions of people that what you believe is is pernicious, is asinine, is wrong, is is right. unpopular, is like however to get to them. That's that's rooted. That's the rooted part. The the fact right. that these beliefs hide in the corners. So banning it, like you say, banning it, like banning the freedoms of these people to be assholes, just makes it stronger in a martyrdom right. kind of way. Whereas if we publicly, as a as a unified like look, let's other them, let's right. make them ashamed of their yeah. Of their, their I want to other the idea, right? I think that. We, we, I want them not to think it either, right? And I don't know that when you, uh, to oppose a thing is to maintain it, uh, Ursula K. Le Guin said, right? And to oppose a thing sometimes is also to beat it the fuck down and stop it. So it's a tightrope to walk, you know? Yeah, I mean? Right, right. Um, but uh, I, I think freedom of expression is so great. I look at all of the times that other freedoms of expression have not been allowed. Right, that were considered by society to be bad, homosexuality to be a sin, and there were times when that was banned, you know. And it's not like I want to support obviously these bad things, um, you know. And also, maybe it's important to say that uh, I am uh, Jewish, and one of the differences is that I don't have to say that. Everyone can see that Len is black, right? And so for this conversation, I just. I debated bringing it up or not because my perspective on the swastika is not necessarily right or wrong because of that. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe it is a good thing to say. And now I've said it. Um, but uh, I, the, the possibility that we are always wrong, right, is important to me. And that is inherent to freedom, right? Because other people will get it wrong, but I might be wrong too. So I need to allow that kind of expression. Um, even though I'm pretty sure I'm not wrong right now about this yeah, one, I really do. But I really do think that it's it's a it's a cultural it's a cultural thing. Yeah, we don't need to ban. We don't need to to um, outlaw. We need yeah. to shame and inform. And a lot of times, I feel like this generation, like the current generation, is a loss. But their children aren't, right? Yeah. Like the world as it gets smaller and smaller, and social media becomes more prevalent, and telecommunications, and being informed as opposed to the past, even 20 years ago, where people in their bubbles, they could literally live in a cabin and not know about anything other than what their parents taught them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like there are, there are days yeah. when I think that this generation is just lost. All of these, these fuckers are going to have their swastikas and, and we're screwed. However, I don't think that their children and their children's children are lost yet. I, I don't, don't think, think like, so it's, it may not be the battle we fight today so much as the, the, the good that we put into, the investment that we put into what happens next, which fucking sucks. It's not fair. But I, it is always how it has been. And yeah, I used to think that it was a, a longer, uh, a more linear line. And now that I see it's jagged, right? Um, you know, yeah, but I think it's still pointing upwards. I think we're still getting better. And the sharing of information is something that we don't know what to do with it yet, right? We don't, as a humans, we don't have defenses against seeing what is misinformation there like we used to against the kinds of information we were used to. We don't know what is going on with the new spread of information, but it's also done a lot of good things and it's brought a lot of good communities together and empowered them. 
And and I think that we'll get there. And um, I think I brought it up on the show before, and, and you may you almost definitely know it, but um, the uh, Martin Luther King quote, that the, arc of his, mo- the moral arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking recently that, uh, look at the flat earthers, right? They don't yeah. think they're on a sphere because it looks flat. A long arc looks like it's not going in the direction that it's going, you know? And I just, I hope that that is true. And uh, I hope it's shorter than he envisioned. <laughs> yeah. Well, isn't, isn't there, isn't there also like, a, it's, I don't know if it's a theory or just something great I read. Um, every time that there is a, um, a spike in these kinds of, of social atrocities, whether you th- that's Trump or Charlottesville or whatever, every time that there's a spike, it's almost a um, societal reminder of how awful things were because you fuckers were complacent mm. and things yeah. improve. Like yeah. it's a net positive. Like we get these, uh, uh, historically we get these spikes of abject awfulness, but it works as a net positive over the course of like another generation because you're, you're like, you know, there's, there's kids today that are straight up adults fighting in Afghanistan that didn't weren't alive for nine 11. Yeah. Like they're, the actions of of a generation, yeah. I mean, you're old, we're old. It yeah. happens. Yeah. The uh, the idea that we as a culture have to experience this bullshit to be reminded of how we can be as better, right? Mm-hmm. Or or things improve past the baseline because of the atrocity, yeah. which again is fucking awful. Right. But if you want to be a silver lining type of person, like the the fact that this administration, whatever you believe, has mobilized so many people to oppose. Oh, uh, yeah. and, and that is yeah. that is a positive thing. P- uh, uh, unheard voices from before that were either complacent or or uh, silent or indifferent Auto are way. no longer. Right? My yeah. favorite is when you know people who uh, poo-poo these young protesters because they're kids. They're just young. Guess who's gonna age? Right. <laughs> yeah, and take yeah. your jobs. Who's gonna? Who's gonna yeah. be? You know, and people do sometimes get more um, conservative as they get older, as they have a memory to conserve. You know, but <laughs> it is. I hope that it is uh, more and more. Pro- the progress comes too, right? Mm-hmm. Things that we w- think are unthinkable now were common in previous eras. Um, and that is a note of that is a note of happiness. Um, and I think that some of this may come as an inoculation, right? To that's a uh, great way of putting it. Yeah. yeah, I hope that that is that that is how we handle this as a society. Uh, you know, a mental um, uh, that, that 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 will be the mental change that we will be able to combat all of the misinformation and and maybe even hatred a little bit more. You know. Okay, that the, does it. The entire white race, I need you all to grow beards and become leaves. Len, <laughs> you are so kind. You, uh, I'm in. Oh my God. That is, we're, such we're a halfway there to you or to, yeah. to, from you. Uh, I, I am honored. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. Grow beards and become leaves. 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 Brian. Yeah. Everyone, leaves. Yeah. Everyone needs to be a little Brian. <laughs> we need a little bit more Brian in us. You know, I feel like uh in a way if you if you don't look around the world and you say everyone would be better if they were more like me, then just be better. <laughs> you know? 
Um, but I, but I hope, and I, and I solemnly believe that there are many, many other people who, uh, you would be good to emulate, but Len, my God, that is such, uh, thank you. Just leave. Just Brian. <laughs> Brian. Yeah. That's it. Don't, don't cry. Oh, I, you know, I hear a little bit. <laughs> Hi, Sam. Hi, Sam. Hi, Sam. <laughs> Hi. Anything else? Before this break? <laughs> uh, um, go ahead. No. Oh, I was just going to this conversation started with um, the 9-11 issue of Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, I really liked it. I really enjoyed this talk. Uh, I feel fulfilled by this talk, I think, is a more is a more accurate way to put it. Um, and uh, J.D., you should check it out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll have to <laughs> yeah. rewatch it. Yeah, yeah. I'm helping customers. Oh, and there's a comet, right? Right near the Big Dipper at sunset tonight through Friday, if you can see the horizon. I've tried a couple of times and I haven't been. So tonight I think I'm going to try to drive outside of the city to Ooh. see that. It's called Comet Neowise. 6,800 years from now is the next time that it's supposed to come by. Wow. Well, scheduled to. Supposed to. Isn't it, enough it might be late, give or take a couple yeah, hundred. Yeah, no, give it's take doing a... thing, right? It's doing comet deals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's got comet business. Yeah. Yeah. Wheeling and dealing up in. He's on tour. You know, it's sometimes they get extended. Right. right. Sometimes something happens. Sometimes they can't uh, have an event because COVID. You know, you don't know. Yeah. She gets delayed. Years from now. You know, yeah, there's that. So join us next week when we are back with Spoiler Alert, Gutter Talk, and Book Club. We're going to be talking about the yeah. uh, requested ro uh, Atomic Robo graphic novel. I think it's volume three he asked us to do. Um, so, yeah, we're going to review next week's books. We're going to have a conversation. And we're going to do a book club. It's going to be jam friggin' packed. I've been your host, Johnny Destructo. With me this week has been Len. Hey, what's up? Yo, um, ladies and gentlemen, please, if you want to hear me talk about Comic-Con at home, turn to Instagram Live at 12.30 p.m. on Thursday, July 23rd, where I will be speaking with noted Philadelphia Inquirer features writer Ellen Gray, all about Comic-Con at home, giving you a preview of all the fun stuff that's going to be happening. So check that out, 12.30 this Thursday, Instagram Live on the Black Tribbles or at Philly Inquirer feed. That's pretty fucking cool. Thank you. I'll go next. Uh, I have I been Brian Lee, and I'll see you guys <laughs> later. Uh, yo, there is also, I don't know how to find it, an implicit bias test, right? I don't know if you guys have taken it or anyone mm -hmm. in the world has taken it. It's like uh, Harvard, I believe, or MIT, some university. And it's an implicit bias test. And you go through, I took it, and uh, I have a slight you know, a slight bias that I wasn't too happy about. So I actively worked to not, you know, display it at all. But it was slight. <laughs> you know, I'm biased that this was created by a university which uh, tries to learn people. Fuck that. You don't care for that? Nah. <laughs> Book learning? Fuck that. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, implicit bias test. Type it in, and you know, I I won't say it changed my life, but it was it was good information to have. You know, nobody's nobody is without these flaws and biases um, that are just learned while we're trying to learn how to get through the world. And uh, once you know about them, it's easier to uh, never Find act on that. Yeah, exactly. To change your your thinking style, if possible. Or is it a long test? Is it like long or anything? It's not too long and it's kind of fun. It's like, you know, it's just like multiple choice kind of things. Mm -hmm. A little anxiety that goes with it because 
hopefully you don't want to be proven to have bias, right? <laughs> so you're like a little worried. You're like, oh, I hope I do well on this bias test. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I want to be a good guy, you know? Everyone should go into it realizing that they have bias, period. You, everyone is yeah. born or learned bias. True. No yeah, matter what. All learned. It's all about how we navigate the world and some flaws get in there. About I think it's pretty funny that like, or, you know, maybe it's my assumption here, but I think anyone who is actively going to take a bias test is already aware that uh, they have bias. There's also a way to increase your empathy. And it's not it's not hard. You want to know what it is? Um, Drugs. It, it, this experiment that was done where they just showed yeah. a person's face and you say, may you be well. And then it switches to another person for a half hour. May you be well. Right. And it was shown in this experiment to increase that person's empathy, at least right after the experiment. Um, it would be great if everybody took it. If it's self-originated, the people who take it, it's probably still help. But you could really use it on the people who don't think they want to yeah. take it. You know? Um, so, yeah. <laughs> and also, no. Hey, guys. Uh, if you want to check me out later, I'll still be here. That's my plug. In his home. Cool. My your, home. Can we read some of those books? Oh, Please. yeah. Uh, what, what would you like? What would you like? Like and subscribe. Uh, we also do Thunder Rounds in the middle of the week where we review books for 60 seconds just for ish and giggles. All sorts of good stuff, good stuff, good times. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, and we will talk at you later. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Spoiler Alert. Check out all our shows, including the Cannibal Horrorcast, where we review classic and contemporary horror. Oh, it's so spooky! And Gutter Talk with the Black Tribbles, recorded live every week at Johnny Destructo's Hero Complex in Nanyang, PA. Yeah. This is